When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Revely, revely, dogs. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. Yeah, maybe the 4th be with you, dorks, or whatever people say on a day like this. The 4th of May, 2022. I'm Jar Jar Binks, and that is... Django Fett. No, we're just two other washed losers. Hi, everyone. My name is Luke Thomas. That is Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat, the best effing combat sports podcast that ever was. Uh, We have a lot to get to today. We're going to have an all UFC edition today. We'll get to some UFC news that came out yesterday. Plus, we're going to lean heavily into previewing UFC 274, which is, of course, this weekend. My name is Luke Thomas, one half of your hosting duo, joined by the drug rug man himself. It's Captain Washed. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know what it is. Admiral washed, maybe commander washed. I don't know. But he's my friend and yours, the Viceroy of Connecticut. It's BC. What's up, Brian Campbell? Wow. Luke, short of just outright showing your hog on today's show, giving the people what they want with this all UFC edition of Morning Combat. Uh, we're going to close it, by the way, with a little, if we have time, with a little Star Wars nerddom. But yeah, we're coming hot, heavy, and hard today, UFC style. So buckle up, get ready. Luke, quick shout out to at uh, Average Joe Art on Twitter and Instagram. I know that he's been sharing, and as we have uh, pics of those paintings he did of us, he made a combined poster that the Morning Combat account just tweeted out. That is spectacular, Luke, of you and I, it's- making us look. Like we could kick a little A if you know what I mean, you know. I know, and that we were, you know, we were probably, you know, uh, uh, prom kings. When in reality, <laughs> I don't think that we were prom kings. Is a better better way to put it. Yeah, incredible. Average Joe Art putting together one piece for you, one piece for me, and then putting them together, and then making this um, this poster. We, we're going to put it in the studio at some point, uh, and, and probably pretty quickly. It's that good. Um, I'm super super grateful. BC, whenever you get stuff like this, don't you feel like? It's so, it's crazy to say this, but don't you feel like real humility about it? Like that someone would go through the yes. the trouble to make this, and that they put this kind of care and effort into it. It's really it's pretty it's pretty dramatic and pretty. It's a and continuation of of the warm feelings I regularly get when I realize like we're building a community here, and it's a weird family, but it's a lot of really talented folks in this community, and we all come together out of our love for two things: Luke, combat sports. And dick jokes. And, and, you know, there's there's room for more. So come on board. OK, uh, you know, two of every kind. Let's let's uh, let's beat the storm here, Luke, of life and uh, and do it. I mean, we got some talented mother effers that like this show. So, uh, you know, like I said, uh, Cosby, you need a you need a, a spinoff of the Cosby Doc W. Kamal Bell. How about a doc on our lives and our rise? OK, Luke. All right. Let's share our art with the world. All right. As a reminder, we're going to do all UFC stuff today, but don't forget, BC and I are headed into the studio tomorrow 
for some top secret programming. Plus, we're going to have a Friday show. And BC, I'm just going to tell the listeners now, the Friday show is going to be probably off the rails. We will do some UFC technique talk and all that stuff, get do some predictions and whatnot. But we're going to have a lot of fun on Friday's show as well in studio. Plus, like plus Fridays plus, plus. are for the art and for the THC. <laughs> yeah. That's right. The two are not mutually exclusive. Uh, but I just also want to point out, we're going to have a fight companion uh, on Saturday, plus a post-fight show. I mean, you we're going to have you talking about Tal- Calabasas, Luke? Where, where are you going with this? No, our, we're our not debut? talking about that with your silly jokes. No, we're not talking about that. What I am talking about is we're going to have, uh, let's see, we're going to do a post-fight show for Bellator, so there's going to be that as well. Um, we're also, on, on Saturday, we're going to have a fight companion, so to speak, during the fights, and then we're going to switch gears and then go into a post-fight show for that as well. So Look, we have do you realize this is the of dream stuff. of every single one of these Morning Combat fans for you and I to do a live UFC pay-per-view fight companion show from the studio on those couches, bro? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you, sound, you sound pumped. Hey, Luke, real quick. Uh, normally on Wednesdays we do gimmick segments like over-under. Over-under, one and a half top 15 ranked UFC fighters that we have scheduled to walk in the studio doors this week in Jersey City. Uh, I'm going to take the over. I'm going to take the over. Yeah. It's going to be a good one. It's going to be a good one. I'm very, very excited about it. So we have a lot. We have B- BC and I have, like, we're supposed to take care of our wives and whatnot on Mother's Day, and I'm going to do my damned best. But we have, between now and then, we have a ton of stuff we are recording. So be on the lookout for that. Yeah, yeah. Well, great, great weekend to have my wedding anniversary and Mother's Day just three <laughs> days apart, and I'll be in Jersey City for both in a sweaty studio with no windows with you that's great for my marriage it'll be fun uh, i want to remind everyone showtime.com is the label that pays plus not this weekend but the well, those bellator on friday and then the following weekend they're going to have that rematch between charlo and brian castano you have got to see that one the first one was epic the second one will obviously be probably pretty close and it's for unification what is not to like there so go to showtime.com get a 30-day free trial if you like it you can keep it if not you can bounce obviously you have seen the links below you can get this shirt bc the morning combat shirt the, of uh, the, the Grim Reaper lifting weights, or you can get BC's drug rug. You can go to morningcombat.store. BC, what else do they got at morningcombat.store? Well, I am told the drug rugs are sold out again, so uh, RJ's back in, uh, in his preferred country of, of factories to, uh, to, to cook up some more. But look, we've got uh, Factory Town MMA gear, Dead Luke. We got, um, you know, I, don't even, I haven't been there in a while, Luke. So why don't you guys go check it out? Morningcombat.store. It may surprise you, okay? Great merch, great quality. Tell them BC sent you. Love you. Uh, BC, Thank before you. I continue, do you have your rundown up? Because we have to do this. Eight, or do we have to do this AG read? I think we do, I, right? I live by. I live and die by the AG, okay? All right. Also, as a reminder, morningcombat at gmail.com, morningcombat at gmail.com. That'll be the place to email the show for fan subs, dead wrongs, or just to reach the show in general. Don't DM me. Don't DM Brian. Morningcombat at gmail.com. All the producers check it. They will see it. All right? There you go. Uh, BC, I want everyone to uh, know our next partner, something that, uh, well, they have a product that you and I use literally every day. I'm talking that Athletic Greens. I live and die by the AG1. Luckily, I've been living with it lately, and we love it, Luke. And why I love it, to be honest with you, is it doesn't taste super healthy like in a negative way. It just tastes clean, and I need that in my diet. I'm sure a lot of people can say the same of of their own, where you start your day clean. Dude, you feel a lot, a lot differently as those hours go on. Yeah, I'm not trying to take a bunch of pills. I'm not trying to take a whole bunch of powders. I'm trying to have one thing each day. I can start my day with it. I can finish my day with it. I can do it in the middle of the day. Something that gets me a lot of bang for my buck. This one has 75 uh, vitamins, minerals, whole uh, sourced 
excuse me, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, adaptogens, all kinds of good stuff. And you're like, hey, what does it do for me, though? Um, how about it supports your gut health, your immune system, your nervous system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. There's a lot of products that can claim a lot of things, but I'm sitting here telling you that I wake up feeling like crap most days when I switch to the AG1, just one scoop every morning, you know, tw 10 ounces of water, whatever it is. Um, I feel a lot better, and I'm attacking each day a lot better, and the test results are showing that, Luke, okay? All right. It's lifestyle-friendly. Whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free, it contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals or artificial anything while still tasting good. And uh, you can get five free travel packs with your first purchase and i use those exclusively on the road and again just one per day i in fact signed up for the automatic renewal so they know before i do that I'm, that i'm running out luke and uh and it's been a game changer really okay this is the verbatim part uh t taking athletic greens is a small micro habit with big benefits it's one thing you can do every single day to take great care of yourself you're not supposed to say that luke okay this is supposed to be off the well cuff I, here, apparently but... i have to since you didn't all right, well, I'll tell you this. It costs less than $3 a day, so what do you want right there, okay? You're investing in your health, and it's cheaper, you know, than your cold brew habit, straight up. Yeah. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, especially heading into the flu and cold season, which your boy just had. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. And if you want to know who else likes this, how about 7,000 five-star reviews for Athletic Greens in fact, it's trusted by leading health experts such as Tim Ferriss, Michael Gervais. Luke, I heard even Joe Rogan uses that. I heard. I heard that shit, okay? All right. So I guess we're going to have to flip this part since you messed it up. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash morningcombat. Yes, athleticgreens.com slash morningcombat with a K, of course, to take ownership over your health. And pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. We all could use a little bit of insurance, Luke, to get through this life. Okay, bro? Okay. With that out of the way, BC, let's get this party started. We do have top five topics for the UFC 274 card. But let's start with a quick opener here, if we can. So yesterday, there was a podcast with Ryan Clark, um, who is a former American football player for our overseas audiences who has turned into what we are, basically, talking heads. Uh, he hosts a show with Daniel Cormier, RC in D.C., and uh, does a lot of stuff for ESPN in a lot of different capacities. Uh, he, he has a podcast with two other former football players, and Dana White was on it. Now, when they go to talk to him, there is a scene that some internet sleuths picked up. Let's put the screenshots of what they found on the screen here. People tweeted this out. So, look, is this the war room that we often see Dana in on these yes. videos? And if you if you could blow this up, Corey or Gaff, so we can just go through it real quickly. This is what they saw on the – this was not broadcast, like, intentionally. This is what you could see if you were looking real closely in a very brief moment. So they have this war room at the Zufa headquarters or UFC headquarters where – I want to be clear about this. This is not necessarily what is signed and done, although some of those could be signed and done. And some have – been announced since this yes. leaked uh that's right but some of this is a little wish listy like they this is what they have plus what they want this is how this is a picture of how the ufc wants to structure their product and so you can see that right there bc if we can um this, you see the saturday july 30th card which would be 
UFC 277. The other one we saw was UFC 276. Very quickly, if we can, go back to that UFC 276 card, uh, Gaff and Corey. I want to walk down it real quickly. Here we go. Adesanya versus Kadan- or uh, Adesanya versus Cannonier, which we had known before. Oh, okay, really? You're, really? We're doing dude, that now, Luke? Well, you dude, people see- were... No, hold on, hold on. People... I, I can't win with you guys. If I don't pronounce it correctly, people shit on me. If I try to pronounce it correctly, then you shit on me. What's the right you're answer, selective. BC? You're selective. You say Rousey all the time when you know that's wrong. But no, but I'm not anyone- trying to do that. I try, no, listen to me. I'm trying to listen to people when they say there's a better way to pronounce it. Either what I'm, I'm saying to is, to if somebody gets to the South The fact America- that I don't have a perfect record in no way is is a reason to not even attempt to try to do no, things it's correctly. It's selective amnesia. If somebody mispronounces a South American you see, name, it's not intentional. It, right? it's, it's not intentional. It's okay, yeah. it, it, listen. People who are insecure think that people who do other things are doing it performatively. It's not performatively, dude. I'm trying to do the right job here. If, if you don't like who that, are insecure- tough shit. Tough people shit, dude. who are Tough insecure shit. take jokes from their best friends personally, okay? I'm so not there taking you it go. personally, dude, right but this is this you. constant, dude, this is constant theme with you that anything I try to do different than the norm has to be bad faith performative acting when, in fact, I'm just trying to do the right job. Can we just fucking move on, please? Hamzat Shemaev, Nate Diaz, we'll come back to this one in just a second. Sean Strickland... I mean, Dude, I mean, don't hassle the Hoff here, bro. Please, okay? All right, have some fun in life, you know? I'm having some fun, but can we move on? Sean Strickland versus Pereira, which we'll talk about in just a second. My vision does suck, BC, but that looks to me like Lauren Murphy versus Misha Tate. Correct. And then lastly, Pedro Munoz taking on Sean O'Malley. BC, I will pitch it to you very quickly. When you see what the UFC has put together here in this little what's confirmed slash wish list, What's your major takeaway from that? Well, the major takeaway are the two cards. The International Fight Week card that you see right there, July 2nd, and then the July 30th pay-per-view, which doesn't have a city yet, but has John Jones versus Stipe for the interim title penciled in. So, Luke, the giant takeaway, outside of the fact that we all thought Jones and Stipe weren't going to be ready till September, and again, we have to figure out whether this is a wish list or whether this is, you know, whatever. But look, the biggest headline that came out of this was the July 2nd card Hamza Chamaya versus Nate Diaz in the co-main event. So, Luke, I can't see a lot of fans loving this fight because it's looked at as a one-sided potential matchup, a step backward for Chamaev in some ways considering I think he already should be in a title shot. He looked like he was going to fight Colby on ABC. And now, look, it's still a big spot, co-main event against a legend on the, you know, quote-unquote biggest fight card of the year, at least an intention but this is the ultimate cash out if this is true and this is Dana White's plan. Everybody wants Diaz versus Poirier. Dana's been doing the rounds lately. I think he was just asked yesterday by somebody else and he responded with, no, we have no plans for that fight. So this must be why, not for McGregor to come back and fight Diaz, but for Nate to get cashed out. I mean, that is really the UFC way, Luke. Look at when Paige Van Zant was entering her last fight. They're like, oh, let's give her to somebody she can't beat so that it will at least in theory, which is a promotional tool, damage somebody on the way out as they go to a competitor and bump up somebody using that person's name. Look, it's an old fact and tool, but this fight has to surprise a lot of us if this is the the direction that they're going. Does it make sense promotionally? Yes. You want to make casual fans realize that Chemayev is the next big thing? Good God, put him in there with Nate in a matchup that he should devour the aging yet, you know, still wily veteran. But, Luke, I want to spin this back and ask you. You texted me back when this first broke, and we're all like, holy shit, what is what is this? And you're like, you know, this might be more of a UFC wish list. The board on the wall, it's in the room where they're constantly looking at the rankings and trying to make fights. 
They had to know the cameras were on. Ryan Clark and company are sitting there. Dana's coming in with his Walmart khaki pants on, shaking hands, and they got this zoom in. So, Luke, nothing Dana or UFC does is seemingly ever by accident. Is there any deep-rooted double backfire conspiracy being set up here that this is a public negotiation tool by the UFC to put pressure on whoever needs it, that this might be the direction that they want to go, and they wanted this to get out there? Yeah, I mean, I'll say this. If they wanted it covered up, it would have been covered up. I mean, the UFC is very careful about secrecy. The UFC tries to be very careful about what kind of messages go out there. So, you know, did they want it out there? It's hard to know exactly if that's true, but they definitely didn't take any steps to conceal it, and that kind of tells you the story there. Also, BC, here's the one thing I'm noticing about looking at this, uh, this fight card. You notice there are two kinds of stickers on the names, ones that go before the name and then one that goes after the name, and each one has a red and blue version. So, for example, Sean Strickland has a red one to the left. Lauren Murphy has a red one to the right. Nate Diaz is the only one that has a sticker on either side, and this is the point I want to get to with the wish list. This is the thing. This might have been intentional to your point, BC, because... I don't know what the legend of this map means, blue or red, in front of the name, after the name. It's it's hard to know. Maybe it's, red I think corner, it says blue tough. Corner. Luke, does it say tough? Like like meaning the fighter came from the ultimate fighter system? That wouldn't be true about Nate, right? He did come. He won season five. Okay, then that he, would be true. Is this just saying that's where they or originate from? Is this UFC's way of looking at X Dana White contender series, X tough? I don't know. I'm asking you. I, 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 honest, I honestly don't know. I really don't know what it means. But I'll just say this. Uh they can't make Nate Diaz take that fight. For folks who don't know, they're independent contractors. They're not employees. So the UFC can't go, you're going to take this fight. Now, they can offer a fight and then put pressure on you in different ways to take it, and they have, and they always do, but they can't actually make you take it. So for folks who are looking at this being like, oh, they're going to make him take this fight, they can't. That being said, BC, you brought the Paige Van Zant one. Here's another good one. When Arlovsky first left the UFC back in, God, what was it, 07, 08, it was well known he was going to go to Affliction and probably fight Fedor or whoever there. And they gave him Jake O'Brien and buried him on the prelim cards. But Arlovsky actually surprisingly won that fight on the way out and totally blew up their plans. So even though they try to like, I'm not going to call it sabotage, but they definitely try to kick your ass on the way out the door. It doesn't always go their way. That's why I wanted to be very clear. So if you look at the, the main event, BC, with Izzy and, and uh, Cannoneer, if you notice, there are no stickers anywhere on their names, either before or after. That's the one that seems like it's the done deal. But the rest of them all seem somewhat conditional, including BC. I would love for this fight to be made. Pedro Munoz versus Sean O'Malley, but it doesn't look like it's finally confirmed yet. Although I think Brett Okamoto did report that that's the direction that everything is headed. Yeah, and also, uh, if this picture was pumped up a little bit larger... Something that got confirmed yesterday that's on that board is Robbie Lawler versus Brian Barberina for essentially the ESPN featured prelim of this same card. So, Luke, there's some truth on here. I do like your idea that maybe these stickers represent not just the system they came from, but whether the fight is secure or how many signatures they have or whatever. It could be a wish list. I just don't see that they didn't think that this could get out. And then it did. And then they're just right. like, oh, fuck it. Who cares? No, I right. think there's intention behind showing this. But, you know, what do you think about Jones Stipe to close the month rather than the preferred September when Stipe said that's when he's best available? Yeah, so let's look at it here. You got Jones and Miocic here at the bottom of your screen. 
TBD, TBD. All right, we'll get to that later. Derek Lewis versus Sergei Pavlovich, which is kind of an interesting fight. You got to love this one, dude. Magomed Ankalaev taking on BC's favorite fighter, Anthony Smith. Now, we do know that Miocic has apparently told UFC that he doesn't want to fight until September, which had upset John Jones. And again, you look at the legend of the map. One more, one more time, blow it up here very quickly, very quickly. You'll see Jones and Miocic also have that red sticker next to their name. So what does that mean? It's still conditional. They can move it around. They have a verbal agreement, not a written agreement. I, I, I don't know what the map means here per se, but I was under the impression, BC, that they had moved that basically to September. Do you still think that a late July fight between Jones and Miocic is actually in play? I don't know because, uh, you know, could, could this have been put on the board a week before and they, while they're talking to the guys and they just hadn't updated? I don't know. Do, do I love that this leaked and that there's this, you know, conspiracy angle of us trying to figure out and decode? Yeah, it's kind of fun there. And by the way, Aaron Blanchfield versus J.J. Aldrich above there. I don't hate that fight either, even though I Oh, know, I didn't see that. You, Can you blow it up one more time while BC talks? I'm sorry. That's just a card above it. I was just, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. I, I always look out for the women's fights, Luke, usually through Instagram. Yeah. But that's, uh, that's my point is this, that... um. Felice Herrick versus Carolina Kovalkiewicz above that? Whoa, what are we doing here, bro? Uh, I don't know, Luke. I don't know how real this is. I don't know how close this is. Um, that seems a little too soon, but if you're telling me the month of July could bring us this, in fact, right, a loaded IFW card, whether you hate the, the Hamzat Diaz fight or not, you're still getting a great fight in uh, Cannoneer versus Adesanya, uh, a loaded card around that if it means Sugar Shane finally stepping up against a top 10 guy in Munoz. And we close the month with this historic, insanely huge fight, which takes place one day after the vacation I just scheduled to replace the one that got canceled when my family got sick. Luke, admit it. It's first world problems, but you can't win booking a vacation in this business. You can't win. You can't. Because it's impossible. It, it's impossible. Mayweather Pacquiao 2 is going to drop on whatever date you put out there. It's just, it's inevitable. You know, it's crazy. And, and by the way, look at the cities. If I, 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 again, my vision is not great. It looks, oh, God damn it. One more time, guys. Sorry. I know I'm, I'm giving you a bunch of different instructions. It looks like it says NYC Boston. It says SLC. Houston, so Salt Lake City, Salt Lake yeah. City, Boston, and then Chicago, Dallas. I can't read that la second to last Houston, one. I think it's Houston, Chicago, Dallas, but whatever, Luke. The point is they haven't figured it out. Can't It'll probably it. be Houston because they seem to have signed some lucrative deal to go to Houston a few times a year. Good, you know, more power to them. But uh, well, hold on, dude. If they go to Dallas, would they go to American, well, what is it, American Airlines Arena, whatever it is down there? Oh, it's it says Boston, Boston, not, not Houston. Houston. So it was Boston. Okay, so you were right yeah. on that. So, but um, they wouldn't, they wouldn't, they, could they, they wouldn't take Jones Miocic to to Jerry's Dude, world. Would, would I they? love that you brought that up because they do tend to go to the NBA arenas more often than not. We often say, you know, you put 57,000 in Australia a couple times. You put a ridiculous amount in the damn Sky Dome for GSP that time. Why is UFC not on a more consistent basis doing the kind of big crowd shit that like UK boxing is doing? Um, th if they did that, Luke, that would obviously be a fight that would make that make it sense and make it worth it. I mean, could you imagine being in a damn dome for a UFC event? It's only happened a few times, Luke. Only happened with that size, energy, and crowd. That'd be wild. I went to the one they did in the uh, in Toronto when GSP fought Jake Shields, and it was it was incredible. I mean, I know people complain all the time that like if you go to UFC and, and or you watch UFC on TV, it's like they're in Vegas or they're in Houston or they're in Florida and it just looks the same because inside the NBA arenas that there's just no way to really differentiate the product. But when they went to what was it the what was it the not the Sky Dome, but um Rogers something Rogers I Center or whatever Bell Center yeah, whatever, whatever it's called out in Toronto, it did look different. It did have a real special feel or when they went to the Marvel Stadium 
in Australia. Same thing. It had a real different kind of vibe to it that is hard to get. I don't know if they plan on doing that. I don't know if Jones versus Miocic is going to happen on that date, but I would say that if they can find ways to go to some of these a little bit bigger but slightly different venues in terms of the look that they give off, we were just there for Spence and Ugas. Dude, it has a different feel, man. It really, really does. So, Dude, if I'm a janitor at the UFC headquarters, I'm I'm screenshotting everything at all times <laughs> and selling it to the highest bidder. Like, oh, Mike Bone, you want to you want a scoop? Here you go, bro. All right. What you know? What do you get out of it, my sister? Okay, that's what you get. No, that's just, just that's just not not cool at all. Um, no, but Luke, you know this did feel like when you make fun of somebody on an email and somebody forwards it to all your bosses to ask a question from it. It did. It it had that feel, right? Everyone's been it, there. It did. It did. I would just caution everyone. A lot of this seems very preliminary, so a lot of it could change. Just just be wary. But Hamzat versus Nate Diaz, boy, that you want to talk about. The, what's the opposite of rolling out the red carpet? Putting you in the red carpet and then dumping you at the bottom of a lake? I mean, I don't I even mean, know. But Dude, could he be competitive at all in that? And could he take even a level of competitive loss that he took against Masvidal, which I know a lot of people are like, that wasn't competitive at all. But in look, in, in spots it was. Could he even have a losing performance similar to the Masvidal fight against Chemayev? I'll say this. If Chemayev keeps fighting in a very undisciplined way, yes, it is possible that someone like Nate Diaz, who's going to have great submissions, who is pretty durable still, although that's waned a little bit, um, you know, yes, you leave the door open. But if Chemayev fights like a very hard-nosed but very careful way, dude, he's going to... I mean, that's a very bad fight for Nate. That's yeah. a very, very... Oh, that's God, a bad is, fight for this, Nick or Nate, to be quite this honest This is Dana going, hey, Nate, uh, enjoy losing about 200,000 pay-per-view buys against Jake Paul after you leave us here, after we, you know, you get swallowed by this man. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So, so we'll, we'll pay attention to this as the days and the weeks unfold. All right, BC, let's lean into UFC 274. We finally have another UFC pay-per-view. It is, of course, on Saturday. And we're going to go through the main card, starting with the main event. Charles Oliveira taking on Justin Gaethje. Now, Oliveira is your champion. I looked up the odds just prior to the show, BC. He is a slight, slight favorite, although it's pretty close. But I want to start with this question for you, and I want to read out some names as well. Here is the question, and let me read the names to you. The question is, not is he the most hated, because he's not. He's well-liked. And not that people don't think he's good. They do. But is Charles Oliveira the most doubted champion in UFC history. Now, I made a list of names of other champions who I recall being doubted in their career. Where would Charles Oliveira fall along these lines? Tim Sylvia, Carla Esparza, Tyron Woodley, Matt Serra, Jermaine Durandamy, Benson Henderson. You could add Nico Montano in there, but she was more like reviled than than yeah. doubted. There's a sort of, sort of a slight difference. I Michael would say Bisping. Tim Sylvia slightly Bisping more. Was doubted, right? Bisping, Bisping was, was doubted. doubted, but by the time, that's true, but by the time he got the belt, there was a sort of like victory lap tour kind of thing going on. But for me, Tim Sylvia significantly more doubted than Charles Oliveira. But I got to tell you, there's a lot of lingering doubts about the guy. Why? Yeah, look, it's. I think he was in this conversation of most doubted. But I think, you know, whether it's 40%, 50%, he's making believers by his ability to finish elite names. So why was he heavily doubted? Easy. When he came, uh, you know, upon the opportunity to fight for this vacant title, it was, you know, the end of this era where lightweight was the deepest, most dangerous division we'd ever seen in the history of UFC. 
And he didn't have to beat the champion, Habib Nurmagomedov, to get that belt. In fact, mm. Luke, you know, when they booked that interim title, vacant title bout, whatever you want to say, you know, those weren't even the two preferred choices at that moment with Poirier having reportedly turned down, you know, a title shot to face Connor twice. So that's going to always be where you're a paper champion or you're not the real champion. I mean, look, even Daniel Cormier was not considered to a lot of people as the real light heavyweight champion because he never beat John Jones. But you now have to start to ask yourself, how quickly has that changed? And what would a victory over someone as dangerous as Justin Gaethje do to maybe completely change that? Luke, I hadn't thought of it before, but, you know, Sometimes you get into some good Slack debates with your with your uh, with your teammates or coworkers, and I was on the CBS Sports Slack machine, watching from a distance a nice little debate. You know, Shaq, Brent Brookhouse, Brandon Wise, our boys going. You know, Habib has such a great case for goat dumb retiring unbeaten on his own terms, but you know he didn't always get to fight everyone we wanted to. His reign wasn't as long as we would have liked to. What about the reign? that Charles Oliveira could be putting together if he adds this victory over Justin Gaethje. You wouldn't say on paper, you know, is he a leader or maybe in the running for for greatest lightweight champion of all time? Yet if he gets this victory and you just look at the victories in title fights in this current run, dude, I know Charles Oliveira can get doubted because he takes big damage in fights in order to finish folks. And that's that's a true statement. But, dude, he's putting together something so special so quickly that we're even having these debates I'm talking about that I think the idea of is he the most overlooked or underrated or whatever champion that you started off the question, that's going away. And, Luke, I think it's going to be gone if he beats Gaethje because, dude, this is a killer lineup. Chandler, Poirier. I mean, who did he fight before that? I'm forgetting. Ferguson. So this is the win streak. He lost to Paul Felder in 2017. All right, fair enough. Then he beat Clay Guida, Christos Giagos, Jim Miller, David Tamer, Nick Lentz, Jared Gordon, Kevin Lee, Tony Ferguson, Michael Chandler, Dustin Poirier. And remember, you could say, oh, well, Poirier and Chandler are the only the two toughest names that he fought. All those other guys were, you know, lesser than. Right, but he finished both of them. He finished so he would have them. he would have a win streak that would be at what number? Do you know that offhand if he wins this? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. This will be eleven if he gets it. So that's, that's fucking that's... insane huge to begin with that puts you in the top five probably in terms of longest win streaks in this company's history and now your three title wins would be Chandler Poirier and Gaethje after already having beaten Ferguson no you didn't get to fight Habib I'm sure like the you know I could sit by the fire for years and wonder if Charles Oliveira against prime Habib what it would have looked like now that we know Charlie Olives is this good but Luke the whole point is you can only fight who's available to you he's fighting these guys and he's finishing them. Do you agree with me, Luke, that if he does this one more time against Gaethje, for, dude, th- that conversation you started with is is yesterday's news, bro. Go give that shit to GDR. That ain't what Charlie Olives is becoming all about. I mean, it's a great point that you raise because if you look at the title reigns of the other guys, Jens Pulver, a long time ago, certainly well-respected, but I wouldn't put it on the level of what Charles Oliveira is doing. Sean Shirk was good, but again, an early prototype, and he also fought at welterweight and had some success there. BJ Penn is a much bigger name, but the quality of the title defenses I don't think would be as high, again, if you're adding Gaethje to the list. Then you have Edgar and Henderson. Henderson, by the way, Benson Henderson, also a very doubted champ because he had a lot of decisions that people thought he, that he shouldn't have won. Pettis is there, then Dos Anjos, then Alvarez, then McGregor, and then you get to Nurmagomedov. You look at Nurmagomedov, to your point, he had the Poirier finish and then the Justin Gaethje finish. I'm telling you, Charles Oliveira goes in there and, and beats him. He's not going to have what 
Nurmagomedov had, which was just this overwhelming, he was an overwhelming force of nature, undefeated. People could hardly do anything to him. People have done stuff to Charles Oliveira. They've hurt him. They've rocked him. They've, 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 I mean, they've done every, I mean, have cut him, flatlined him, gone into his guard. But on this streak, since 2017, if you just look at what he has put together, especially as champion, that's as good as anyone else's. I mean, just Nurmagomedov's defenses were Poirier and Gaethje. What if Gaethje goes in there and gets submitted from the back in one round by Charles Oliveira within two rounds? Something similar to what uh, Habib Nurmagomedov would, would do. You couldn't have the overall resume that Nurmagomedov had, but the championship run would be just as good, if not better. Yeah. Although, BC, would how do you count a round against... Michael Chandler, where he nearly got finished, even though he came back and won. So he still got the victory, but it wasn't as clean or clear cut. Yeah, and I think that's part, again, that fuels the argument of, is he really that good? Or, you know, has luck been on his side? Or whatever, however you want to frame it. But again, if it's this many names in a row and he's finishing them, what you're watching obviously is a great story. But you're watching somebody whose career resume may not compare to Habib, as you just mentioned, but their absolute prime resume is becoming impeachable. It's becoming insane. I think that's ultimately part of what's at stake here for Charles Oliveira. And I know that, you know, people hate when every podcast makes every fight into some GOAT discussion or is he now the best or the third best in this division's history. That's not the point of this. The point is this just to say I think he's already transitioned out of that sort of paper champion, oh, he never beat Habib, to like who the hell else could he defeat? Because, Luke, he is the ultimate elite risk-reward guy. Like he's not a full-on reckless fighter. But his ability to stand next to that fire for almost the complete fight and take whatever damage comes, knowing that opening will eventually be there, it, it is so rare to find this on the elite level because it's so damn hard to pull it off with that with that type of risk-reward quotient in front of you. Everybody else is seemingly trying to lessen the danger, right? Look at GSP trying to maniacally figure out ways to lessen the danger to just, you know, mute you of what makes you good. Uh, Oliveira's like, bring what makes you good. I'm going to take it, and then I'm going to stop you. You know, I'm, I did it all for the favela. I mean, he did, Luke. I mean, this guy, forget about the DC flag on his forearm. This guy is like a li- living, breathing embodiment of, of you know, a rags-to-riches life story, and he still fights like that with that hunger. It's wild. We can't doubt him anymore. And this is such a hard damn fight on paper. It's ridiculous. Luke, is this one of the five best fights you can make in this sport right now? It's an arbitrary question in a lot of ways, but damn, this is a good fight. Yeah, I don't know about five biggest, but it's one, maybe one of no, the five best. best. But I do want to get to that point about the doubt because it is relevant. Because Justin, uh, Justin Gaethje said something that I thought was kind of interesting, which you hear a lot, which was, if you've ever quit before in a fight or something like that, you once you break that seal, so to speak, you, you can always go, People and people do go back to it. Like, that's a quitter's way out because they let themselves give in to the difficulty and I want to say something about that. I've seen this. Not, I'm not This is not for me, but like in being in gyms, I have seen situations and in people where that's definitely true. Where once they begin to realize that quitting it makes the the bad part stop, and and they get too tired again. There's a famous quote: "Fatigue makes cowards of men." Like that, your your decision making begins to falter. There is a difference between guys who push through and guys who don't. But here's the difference, BC. For as true as it is that if you are comfortable quitting, and if you've been comfortable quitting in the past, you can go back to it. The reality is there is something to be said for the opposite. I have yeah. witnessed with my own eyes people who didn't know what it meant to push through difficulty, and then when they saw other people do it or they learned about it, 
They actually got significantly tougher. They actually learned to not give in to that voice in their head that told them to stop, to make it easy on themselves to quit. They actually learned how to shut that out. Now, some people are born with that a little bit earlier. Some people have that more naturally. But the reality is, can you teach someone to withstand difficulty when it ordinarily doesn't occur to them? Yes, you absolutely can. So I'm not saying that Oliveira won't go back to a bad place if Justin Gaethje smashes a hole in his face like he said he would. But I don't think his 10 and potentially 11 fight win streak he might have on Saturday, again, we'll see how it goes, this idea that like, oh, once you do it, you always go back to it. No, not really. You didn't see it in the Chandler fight for a very good reason because he fucking rallied, man. He fucking rallied and he went right back into the fray and he won that fight. A quitter wouldn't have done that. So I want to be clear about that. It is true. People who quit will go back to it a lot. But it is also true that you can learn how to steal your mind. And I think that's the veteran side of Charles Oliveira making up the difference. No doubt. Look how many elections Abraham Lincoln lost. You know, look how many (laughs) times you and I have been kicked in the face, Luke, or, you know, or blew up our own spot, right? And, and had to learn from those lessons. But look here where we are today. It depends on the person, no question. Luke, it reminds me a lot of that debate we used to have in drinking circles in the woods of, you know, whoever breaks the first seal, you know, is not man enough. They used to call me uterus boy, Luke, when I would drink, you know, Miller High Life's in the woods and be the first one to go behind the tree and whiz. And I'm all like, you know, enjoy your, your kidney stones later in life, folks. Thanks. <laughs> you know, who's the man now? You know what I mean? In this regard, Luke, I don't think that matters. Charlie Oliver his hair and he's as dangerous as anyone it doesn't matter if he had to take hard L's to get here hard L's harden you and I say this whenever people ask me career advice Luke I know there's all like the fail forward idea and that's cool too but like dude take your L's Take them in your in your growth and in your journey. Take them, learn from them, absorb them, but get past them, get through them. Right? If you're going through hell, keep going, and it makes you better for it. You're more seasoned. You're 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 smarter. You're and um, this is a great again. You know, we, uh, the, I, I called Juliana Pena's victory over Amanda Nunes the triumph of the human spirit. I feel like we're seeing these type of victories a lot lately. Charlie Oliveira's title reign, Rose Namajunas getting back into championship form after you know considering quitting. Like we're seeing how much people who took that L are are resoundingly growing from this. So nice tough guy comment from Gaethje. I don't think it works. And Luke, tell me if I'm wrong on this. Speaking of Gaethje, who, by the way, great tweet from Ali Abdelaziz. And I don't say that often because he's not only tweeting for himself, but typically his fighters too. But he said, fun fact, this is Justin Gaethje's 10th UFC fight and his ninth main event. So wow. let's give that guy some respect for the how many fight of the year candidates. The only time he wasn't the main event was what? Michael Chandler, and they put on the damn fight of the year. So um, let's, it's showing you... Let's talk you... about Gaethje here for a second, BC. That's a great point you bring up. Remember, his first fight was that main event against Michael Johnson, and uh, Todd Grisham called that fight. That was a crazy yep. fucking fight. I mean, this dude was highly regarded when he was brought over from World Series of Fighting. BC, there's no denying it would be an incredible an incredible triumph, dude. A, beating Charles Oliveira, a high-quality opponent, the champion, would just do wonders for your resume. It would make him a full-on champion. Remember, he was the interim champion after he beat Tony Ferguson and took the belt off. He wanted the real one. But BC, what is realistically achievable beyond that for Justin Gaethje, considering there was, I'm not going to say a one-sided loss to Habib. That's not quite right. Don't but do it. He, Don't do it. 
He was never fully, really putting it on Habib, and Habib kind of showed mercy to him uh, in the way in which he was attacking submissions. But the point being is he lost to Habib, and Habib yeah, is gone. Fuck, fuck, fuck off with that. Habib showed mercy Oh, dude, mercy I'm sorry. To dude, the, the submissions he went for and like the lack of ground and pound was clearly intentional, bro. You, you, you can say whatever you want about the leg kicks. Habib <laughs> took a little bit of easy on him. But the, it I doesn't mean, matter kick, either way. Bit, see, it doesn't matter either way. He lost the fight. He lost the fight, and so now Habib's gone. What can... Justin Gaethje reclaim with a win on Saturday. Well, to a, to a lesser degree, I think he can, he can reclaim the respect that he's not getting right now for all the things we just mentioned. Being a consistent main eventer who's altered his style from full-on brawler to now effective finisher. Going into that fight with Habib with, with, I thought, such a great game plan and seemingly, whether you believe it or not, being one kick away from like putting him in peril. It seemed to be working Yes, he got submitted quickly once Habib went into Habib mode, but you get my point. I think he has been deserving uh, of of being right back into this title picture. I constantly hear people saying he doesn't. Oh, he lost to Habib, blah, blah, blah. Dude, like, look at the who he has fought since coming to the UFC. Don't forget, he was... I don't want to say a big name free agent, but he like he he was a mid career free agent coming over from World Series of Fighting, where he had a very good decorated run and was a champion and all that. But Luke, when they make that jump, albeit from Bellator or wherever, you know you don't know if it's going to be a Will Brooks ending or an Eddie Alvarez, you know Michael Chandler ending. Gaethje has has been elite and world class and has got figured out ways to get better. Yet for whatever reason, people constantly doubt him, dude. This is obviously the best chance. To, to kick those doubters right in the face by becoming the champion and by doing it against a guy who's been finishing everyone else. I just think when you talk about who's cr- criminally underrated, I've had Gaethje as eight or nine on my pound for pound list, you know, consistently here during this run. And I, I don't see how people look at his game since he made that change with Coach Whitman and, and went on that run toward that Habib fight, how people can't see how freaking elite he is, Luke. Uh, this to me is just all about that. It's career validation, obviously, because you become a UFC champion. It's almost becoming immortalized. But I think people have really missed who this guy has become, Luke. And he's got this great opportunity on Saturday. And I say great because as much as Charlie Olives can finish you at any time, he puts himself in spots where he can also be finished. And if you're among the most devastating finishers in this game, which Gaethje is, you have to love your chances coming into here, Luke. So he's going to tell all them haters to shut the F up. This guy's great. You heard yeah, here's it right his, here, U- here, Here's his UFC run today. He fought Michael Johnson in 2017, which he won TKO round two. Followed it up with back-to-back losses, although Eddie Alvarez no longer in UFC, Dustin Poirier. Um, I'd be very curious to see how a second Gaethje and Poirier fight might go, but credit to Poirier. He was the better man that night. Then James Vick, who he KO'd. Edson Barboza, who he KO'd. Don Cerrone, who he TKO'd. Tony Ferguson, who he TKO'd, Nurmagomedov, made up, he lost to, and Michael Chandler, who he beat. That's the only decision uh, win, or or even loss, really, but the only decision victory that he has had since joining the UFC. And it was against the other sort of Bellator to World Series of Fighting version of himself. BC, are, are you, I, this is interesting, are you of the belief that Gaethje is, I, I didn't think, he, I didn't. I don't consider him underrated. You consider him underrated. I do, I do. And What's look, his levels? best win? What's his best win? Johnson, Vic, Barboza, Cerrone, Ferguson, Chandler. What's the best win? I mean, Chandler's, you know, he went went to war and almost had to get off of who he's trying to be just to out. It's funny. Chandler did to Gaethje what Gaethje did 
or attempted to do to Alvarez and Poirier in their two fights. So those are the only two losses outside of Habib for for Gaethje in this uh, promotion. But that was like the old one of him who's just like, I'm going to find out how man you really are and find out if you can swim with me. And I think it was obviously finding out that both of those guys could that led to him making this change. Since that change, I mean, I guess you got to say Chandler here. But Luke, I, I, I don't... I don't see how you don't see how underrated this guy is and how much people are just overlooking that. I mean, he's, you don't manhandle him on the ground. He's, you know, he's life or death if he has to. His striking's incredible. The way to, how he's able to land heavy, heavy strikes at close range and chop you down with leg kicks and yet still figure out constantly how to retool and become a more efficient finisher. Damn, no, what I, I guess what I'm saying is I, I I agree with you that he's as I mean, dude. I think Justin Gaethje is a marvel. He makes this division better. Every fight he's in is just a is just a uh, you know it's a mosh pit. It's incredible. Even even with the reformation with Trevor Whitman, you go back and look at what he did to Tony Ferguson. It was surgical, but at the same time, it was just so quite literally heavy handed and violent. I guess my point is, if you join the UFC and your three losses are Alvarez, Poirier, and Nurmagomedov, no shame there because, A, I think a rematch with Poirier would be winnable. Uh, Alvarez, again, out of the UFC. Nurmagomedov, not really available. But those losses kind of indicate there's a level that which maybe he hasn't, he either can't or hasn't gotten to yet. I would say this. You beat Charles Oliveira. That's the best win of your career, bar none. With or without the title, yeah. this version of Charles Oliveira would represent, to me, a much more significant win. As good as the win over Tony Ferguson was, Charles Oliveira is younger. I don't think as uh, as as much damage as he's incurred. I don't think he had as much damage, although Ferguson got the most amount of damage from Justin Gaethje. I'm just pointing out, for as good as he's looked, for as much of a hammer as he's been, Maybe Nurmagomedov is not there, and maybe he can't get that rematch or whatever. But this win on Saturday, to me, would absolutely be the most validating. And it's not because there's a title. It's because that quality of opponent, to date, has been something that has eluded him. It's a huge, huge opportunity for him. And he has to be the best win. I mean, it could easily be Ferguson, and that was sort of the fight that we all sort of went, wow, is Ferguson going in the other direction? Well, good God, the the violence that he put on, that Gaethje put on him fueled that. Obviously, the Chandler one's just huge because it's a fight of the year, and Chandler is so prime in that position. But, Luke, he punched a hole in Edson Barbosa in ways that, you know, no one else was doing that. Yeah, Barbosa's got losses mixed in, and he's always been a warrior and always fought the best. But you remember that beating Barbosa took from from Habib for three rounds, one of the most brutal ones. I mean, Gaethje came out in that first round. You know that that's the new version of him, like we talked about, and just punched a hole in him. That's that's one of his great wins as well that I think gets overlooked. So look, you know, he's got a chance to to change that narrative. But damn, dude, this fight, damn, this and it's fight like, is awesome. I mean, you know, and so was Alvarez Chandler. I'm, I'm not Alvarez. So was Gaethje Chandler on paper. So was Oliveira Poirier on paper. And, and you know, Oliveira Chandler. Like, what a... Even though I feel like Bantamweight has, you know, slightly surpassed lightweight of late weight and into almost historical levels of just, you know, absurd depth and legitimate title challengers up and down the top 10 rankings... Damn, lightweight still got it, and obviously uh, we tend to forget to talk about Islam Mahachev in these discussions, as all these all-action bangers fight one another. But we got a great one, a special one on Saturday, and um, Mahachev's coming right after that. Luke, it's coming. I on. agree. That'll that'll be the next. That could change who, it. Who, who, he could. By the way, he could have way. a John, he could have a John Jones effect on this division. Think about it. Before John Jones, all these Hall of Famers are trading the belt every other fight. 
Right now, all these lightweight bangers are getting into all these wars with each other. Islam might just come on the scene and take that over, Luke, okay? Yeah, but he, I mean, John was so much quicker than what uh, Makachev has put together. But okay, neither here nor there. Either way, if you get Gaethje at Makachev or you get Oliveira Makachev, you can't, it's just a phenomenal fight in either direction. So I can't wait to see that. Let's move to topic number two, BC. There is, there are, I should say, two title fights on this card. Of course, Oliveira and Gaethje being the first one. The second one being the rematch between Rose Namajunas and Carla Esparza. A lot has changed in both of their careers since the first time they met. Going back to the original question, who's the most doubted champion? I think Esparza had a lot of doubts because um, she never really was able to defend her title. But BC, I want to start with this question for you. Does a win solidify, if Rose Namajunas gets the win, does a win on Saturday solidify her as the best strawweight ever? I think it does. And it's a it's a perfect footnote in a lot of ways that that this like 180 spin that she's constant. I mean, she's constantly reinventing herself, even after wins sometimes, right? Because she wears her emotions and her development and growth so openly on her sleeve. And I always give Rose credit for that. But to go back to the person that she lost the inaugural title fight for, like obviously, you know, Esparza beat her, but then it was over because Ioana was coming. Ioana's reign is, is you know, really, really hard to beat of those, well, I think, five, six consecutive title defenses. But not only did Rose go on to beat Ioana twice, including, you know, one by dominance and one by just thorough edging her out in a classic fight that people really consistently forget to talk about. Um, yeah, dude, this would be it because you, as much as we give credit to people for long reigns and many defenses and the kind of runs that Silva, GSP, Nunes, John Jones went on, dude, it might be even harder to constantly keep coming back. And I mean, she got dropped on her head and knocked out and was considering quitting. And all she's done since then is, I mean, she beat Whaley twice, including knocking her the hell out, dude. I mean, this is wild. She already avenged the Andrade loss by walking through hell in round three to do it. She's the most battle-tested and really most complete, if we're really being honest. Juana was great. She pushed an insane pace, and she was tough as shit. But she was never a finisher. Rose is sort of next level and can do so much more on the ground, on the feet. Skill-wise... And I think now, accomplishment-wise, with a win here, yes, you're looking at the greatest straw weight in the history of this game. And in my working, still-in-progress, all-time great female rankings, boy, is she climbing that one too, Luke, because, you know, that one looks like Nunes, Cyborg, Shevchenko, and whatever order you want. But how many other names are going to be between them and Rose if she keeps winning, Luke? We're, we're watching a historically special fighter constantly grow, evolve, and entertain us here. And I love this fight for the storyline purpose. And I also like it for the challenge. Look, Esparza takes you down and goes full mount like you're seeing in these pictures. You know, she can do damage. This is not an easy fight, although we're talking more about what does Rose gain with a win here. But damn, Luke, wake up and realize who Rose is. Put some respect on her name. Same gym as Gaethje. I'm telling you how underrated Gaethje is. I'm not saying Rose is underrated, but she may be all-time rated before it's said and done. What a great, great performer. And yes, she's she's got she's on her way there, Luke. Greatest. I'll say this. This is this is my answer. And again, she has to get the win. Otherwise, this is completely out. So assuming that Namiunas wins, what I would say is that would make her the greatest straw weight. Uh, a UFC champion of all time. However, I would still say that the best single strawweight campaign, like a single string of wins, 
would belong to Ioana and Jacek, right? She came to the UFC undefeated. She beat Carla Esparza to capture the title in March of 2015 and then beat Jessica Penne, Valerie Letourneau, Claudia Gadelia, Karolina Kovalkiewicz, and then Jessica Andrade all back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back like that. That single push to go 14-0 and ultimately before losing to Rose twice and whatever, that's the best championship campaign that any fighter has from beginning to end. But to be a two-time champion in the way that she has, to go and avenge the losses and then make sure, make sure that there was more to it in the end, right? Having to beat, you know, uh, Rose having to beat her two times like that. That would, to me, go and tell you that she was not only the best of her contemporaries, but to the extent that she couldn't get the win against Esparza, it's because she was still too early in her game. And now that she is much more veteran or much more of a veteran fighter, along with Esparza, they're, they're, they're a level of... Uh, time in the game has sort of evened out in that sense, it would tell you that she is the best strawweight of all time. But do you agree that Joanna still has that single push campaign? And because it was a single campaign, again, up to 14-0, and 0, that's why it sort of captures the imagination of people. Yeah, it does. But I think you have to instantly either be told or recognize, again, she lost twice to Rose, including one by stoppage. So uh, I yeah, think that Max trumps that. Yeah, but Max beat Aldo twice. Max does not have the record at featherweight yes. that Aldo does. It's dependent upon situation, no question about it. But in this situation, I think Rose is already there. A win here would certainly cement that, despite how you know romantic that Joanna run was and how dominant it was. And, and, and well, not dominant, but like you know, I mean, there were close fights down the stretch. But you get my point. Um, Luke, are are we overlooking Esparza at all? Like, I'm trying to hammer home that this yes, is also we are. a really tough fight. We are, because here's the thing. Think about something here. If Esparza wins, not only does she get two wins over Rose Namajunas, and not like, yeah. again, didn't get it like when she was early and then again still early. She would get a very developed version of Rose at this point. So you couldn't say there was like neophyte jitters or whatever. There's another question here. Would she be the unlikeliest two-time champ in UFC history? You can be a Nico Montano and get the title and then I get it again. Or, you know, Conor McGregor never defended it or whatever. But to be a two-time champion in the UFC, that's no bullshit. That's not, that's very, very difficult to do. And if she wins on Saturday, she will be one. Would she be the unlikeliest? Yeah, in a lot of ways. You know, I felt that when when GDR in the rematch with Amanda Nunes had some good moments, I started to think that same question related to her, you know. And it, but in this case, I think that would be right. And obviously the the big selling point on that, not just the two wins over Rose, which is historically massive, is how far apart in years, 2014 for the first one, 2022 for the second one. But that six, seven year gap, Luke, is so much more magnified in the growth of the sport in, in, you know, and like I say, it's, it's, I think it's kind of like sad in, in a weird way to see like Claudia and Carolina sort of slowly exit from that original group of strawweights, which populated that ultimate fighter season and then made that division, the great division it is now, but as far as has lingered and gotten better and, uh, there's a lot of sort of silent redemption for her own case at, at stake because Luke, as as much as you know, we look back and say great win over Rose in 2014. Just as you mentioned, it was such an early, incomplete version of her, and it was the first damn title fight in the division's history. And in, and it was on a fight night for Ultimate Fighter in a damn you know theater. I was there that night, first UFC fight I ever attended. But um, man, dude, are those two different? eras in so many ways so uh so much at stake in this one i think i just got double excited for it luke okay yeah i'll say this again i go back to like who who do i think of as like the in terms of the narrative parallels of their career tim sylvia tim sylvia was not expected to beat rico rodriguez 
And then obviously he had the, you know, he uh, had the PED issue, whatever, and had to go and reclaim it and then did against Andre Orlovsky. Dude, pe- people shit all over Tim Sylvia as being, yeah, he's big, but he's awkward and blah, blah, blah. But here's the difference for me, BC. I'm not saying that Tim Sylvia beat chumps, dude. He fought the toughest guys that he could, and he beat some really good fighters along the way. No doubt about it. But, dude, we're talking about women's straw weight here. Yeah. Now, granted, you can say that she got Rose to get the title the first time before Rose was really fully put together. Fine. But this is my point. As good as Tim Sylvia's win over Arlovsky was to reclaim the title, Esparza beating Nama Yunus to me would be actually more difficult than that. That would actually be a harder road to go down. Yeah. And that would be, I got to tell you, that would be a significant accomplishment for people who got, for a, for a fighter who just got left by the wayside uh, by, by media probably, by fans to a degree. This to me would be actually more impressive than what Tim did. Yeah, because we don't look, we have never looked at her, to be fair here, to, let's be fair to, to Carlos Sparza, but let's be honest. After losing the title in her first defense to Ioana, I don't think we ever really thought of her as an elite, an elite fighter again. A good to very good, ups and downs moments. But it took this win streak, which, by the way, started with a bunch of tough split decision wins, for us to go, oh, shit. And then, you know, the most recent one, Luke, when she when she got the big finish and was so aggressive on the ground, that that's the full circle sort of, you know, evolved Carla Esparza. But the, the, the thing about that makes this particular turnaround unique is that I don't think we we ever consistently looked at her as that and that's why we started to you know unfairly or fairly nudge her into that conversation of least assuming champions in UFC history it's not quite Randy Couture coming back when we looked when it looked like his career was over and knocking down Tim Sylvia and winning back the heavyweight title but it's close it's pretty damn close look if she pulls this off yeah, I mean, just to remind folks that we can move on here, but just to remind them, this is the win streak she is on, Carla Esparza. She decisioned Virna Janjiroba. She uh, decisioned Alexa Grasso. Now, she had two splits, but she won them both against Michelle Waterson and then Marina Rodriguez. And you're like, okay, it's all a bunch of decisions, right? But then to BC's point, she fought Yan Xiaonan in her last fight and TKO'd her inside of two rounds, getting a performance of the night bonus. Also, her fight against Grasso was a fight of the night bonus. Dude, she has turned it the fuck around. Yeah. She lost to Random Marcos in 2017. Her losing to Random Marcos today is unfathomable. Unfathomable. You could not. You would never pick. I think Random Marcos, Marcos is under five hundred right now. To be fair, you know, right. in terms of her record. Right. Uh, now, uh, granted, looked- there is still the Tatiana Suarez boogeyman sitting out yes. there because Suarez TKO'd her, but Remember she's been name. out for so long. I don't even know what to say about that. Yeah, but like, look, you, you'll agree with this. At fl- at flyweight, women's flyweight, where the where the pool is much much more shallow. Dude, you, sometimes you're one good good win, not great. Sometimes you're one good win away from fighting Valentina because, you know, there's no one else that's new. Dude, she had to beat Marina Rodriguez and, you know, Shaunan and Waterson. And by the way, she finished Shaunan. I mean, you know, Rodriguez is somebody who's being groomed for maybe the next title shot. So this is, at, this is not something she stumbled into because she lingered or she has a name. Dude, she freaking earned this, you know, like the hard way. So, you know, much respect to the Cookie Monster, Luke. And... And that, you know, dong-shaped cake that she had for her bachelorette. Who am I to judge, Luke? You know? uh, we got a couple of... Uh, we, we, I did speak to Rose Namajunas, and we do have a couple of uh, pieces of video I'd like to play for. I see you doing your, your, your dick and ball. It was a weird dick on top of the cake. It didn't look like a dick. It looked like a mushroom house that Keebler elves lived in. But in any <laughs> yeah. case... Uh, but it had like a dick mushroom top. Anyway... <laughs> Okay, go ahead. We, we got a couple of clips here. We have Rose. It's funny. I asked Rose about some of her injuries... And she said Jessica Andrade actually helped her out. Let's play the clip. 
I can, uh, I can, my endurance is so much better. My recovery, uh, really, you know, I'm, yeah, I'll, I'll race anybody in the UFC. Let's go. <laughs> That's interesting. And then the neck problem, I'm curious, how, did a doctor ever look at the neck and be like, yeah, you're better. But like, what, what would explain you know what? how the slam did it? Uh, I, you know, I'd be curious that that's actually, um, I never thought about actually getting it checked out like afterward, but, um, before I had a, I had a fracture in my C6 and then I also have had a spinal stenosis and, um, it would like make my arm feel weak sometimes, like just lifting up my arm. Uh, it would, um, I would get these terrible headaches and stuff Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, sometimes if I'm wrestling a lot or grappling, like maybe my neck will get a little bit sore, but that's just like muscles. Like it's not like this like terrible headache. Like I used to have to like put my head in the ice bath, like backwards just cause like my headaches would be so bad. Um, and that was leading up to the first fight with her. But afterward I, I experienced none of those symptoms anymore. And um, I'm like, so, so I, I, I should probably, I should probably see it, see if I still have those problems. Isn't that wild? That's real wild. The only thing I could ever... Fucking wild. I remember in the second Gotti Ward fight that Mickey Ward got knocked down in in the incredible round three, which is the only good round of the fight, and he hit his face on the turnbuckle, and he says afterwards that he was knocked out and blinded from the shot. Like, he couldn't see. He's going on instincts, and then as he's on his feet about to be finished, Gotti hit him so flush with an overhand right that it brought back his vision and woke him back up and he went on to fight the rest of the fight i mean that's just some old school caveman stuff but to hear that you got dropped on your head and knocked out and it fixed everything luke all right you know someone in my i I tweeted it and someone in the comments wrote because like you know there's josh the dentist near which is a very menacing nickname someone said jessica the chiropractor andrage do you like that nickname or not i i do i do like that it's pretty good uh lastly we asked i asked rose you know, what's changed since the first Carla fight? And we all know there's a lot that's changed. But from Rose's perspective, what has changed? Here's what she said. Well, I mean, I don't have hair anymore. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, I will be, well, one, I'll be the champion, you know. So I'm going to go in there and I'm going to be, like, um, even though she has, like, on paper maybe more fights than me. I don't even know what our records are. But uh, I feel as though I have... Um, the the uh more depth to the to the experiences as far as like just being on the bigger stages um dealing with the media um having that pressure on me i feel i mean i don't know what she has to go through i can't walk in her shoes but i do know that um there's a total difference between preparing for a five-round fight and a three-round fight especially um uh you know, main eventing or co-main eventing on really big cards and some of the biggest cards that um, and most memorable cards. So, so I think that's probably the the hugest difference as far as like the first fight. And and I'll take it like the first fight that we had was a big deal as far as like just it being in this historical you know first strawweight championship title fight. Um, so like you know she had that experience, but I mean, but the experience that I had going into that as opposed to her experience. I mean, um, it's it's totally different now. BC, I want to point out something. Rose Namajunas, so the pandemic started, what, like uh, February or March, whatever you want to say, of 2020. Here's something I didn't realize. Rose Namajunas has never fought at the UFC Apex. All of those fights subsequent to that have all taken place in some larger venue. By contrast, 
Carla Esparza, I think, has had the last one, Yan Xiaonan. She has fought in the Apex, and of course, you know, she fought on a couple of, actually, uh, one, two, three, four fight night cards. Only UFC 249 in May of 2020 was in Jacksonville, Florida. That was the big return fight. She's right. She has fought in longer bouts against bigger, uh, bigger yeah. names and bigger cards. How much of a role does that play? It could. The five-round experience as opposed to the three is always massive, and, and, and it could end up playing a, a, a big part. And I just think, look, across the board, save for the wrestling, you know, rightfully Rose is going to be your betting favorite and somebody who you think is going to be able to figure this fight out. They've both grown a ton to get here. I just think Rose has grown more. But, you know, that 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 one real big strength to, to – uh, the Cookie Monsters game is still going to be in here. It's still going to be in play. And, and she's coming off, again, the most violent sort of next level, you know, in terms of explosive uh, performance she's had. So, yeah, I, I think the uh, it could play a role, the, the, the edge there. But they're both battle-tested, been around. I don't see that being a thing. It's going to come down to skill uh, in the end, you'd think, which is going to win this. But, uh, you know, Rose the Farmer pianist luke she, you know she's a renaissance woman in many ways she's my favorite ufc fighter luke i don't care what you is think that right that. she's your favorite ufc fighter yeah because she's so she's different cerebral she's but different. vulnerable but strong you know what i mean it's like it's like she just she's the full she's the full human experience out right out in the open and um she's disarming notice- too because dude she lives a life like if you thought like what does a female mma fighter look and sound like and do on their free time she seems to be the opposite of what people might expect from that, which tells you about people's perceptions as well. But, you know, when, it, when everyone has a certain way and they're all kind of not totally similar, Carla's her own woman too, but Rose is so opposite of what we understand about what, who MMA fighters are. And yet, when she gets in the cage, she's a fucking demon. It's, it's really quite, it's, it's unusual. Yeah, I mean, I don't know about demon. I mean, she's, she's just... I mean, she's like a. To me, she's more of the 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 calculated hitman than the. I'm just gonna <laughs> That's take. That's a good way to put it. You know, yeah. you know, and 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 so cerebral, like I said. But uh, you know, she's also Lithuanian, Luke. So you know, there <laughs> you is can, that. You know, there you could take uh, Imantis Staniosis. You could take Brian Campbell, who's fifty percent. You Lithuanian love Staniosis, and, bro. No one yeah. loves Staniosis more than you and his mom. It's unbelievable. Look, did you know Paulo Costa tweets a lot of weird stuff? Did you notice this morning he since changed it that his Twitter banner picture was dana and rose went back when she had long hair with their arms around each other in like this awkward pose i don't know what that means luke i don't know he's a he's a different guy i don't quite understand him fully yeah they got uh, sean strickland coming for rose a lot of people are tweeting shit but you know she perseveres luke bc let's talk about topic number three which is now michael chandler taking on tony ferguson as i said earlier in the week this might be again the title fights are incredible but my level of intrigue curiosity like ooh, what's this all gonna mean It's a little bit more for this one. So I want to start the conversation with you this way. I'm going to ask you this question. How reputationally costly is a loss here for either Chandler or Ferguson? And then the second part of that is, I guess I would ask, who has more to lose here? And I'm going to set it up in this way. We all know the struggles that Tony has had. Now, Chandler has not exactly struggled. He's one and two. He had a great win over Hooker, and he nearly beat Charles Oliveira, and then he lost to Justin Gaethje in a very competitive, but you know, ultimately it was a fight that he couldn't get it done. Still, if you have the one and then the three, especially if Ferguson coming off of these losses, what does it say about where Chandler is ultimately? How, how do you assess these questions? These questions are a lot more harder to answer than they seem on the surface, right? And it's like, <clears throat> first and foremost, Luke, I'm not excited about this fight. I never liked the match. Really? I don't. I don't think they're on the same levels. I. I. I look back on this. This run 
of punishment that Ferguson's facing, how he's getting worse each fight. It's not just, oh man, put on an awesome action performance, but came up empty, nothing nothing to doubt there. No, it's like one damaging, almost one-sided loss after another for the most part. I think Chandler is much, obviously, I think Chandler's too close to the title picture still to, to necessarily need this fight, although in the long run, this could be UFC if they if they if they believe the same way I feel about this fight. This could be them just sort of cashing Ferguson out one more time in a huge action fight and pumping Chandler back up. Now that's me assuming Luke that this will be one sided and that you know it's almost a waste of a Chandler date. I know you don't agree with that. I know, in fact, you've been saying that you know your interest is growing. So I almost have to interrupt your question to me, spin it back on you, and be like. How do you have confidence that Tony can turn back the clock? Because to answer your question, how bad of a loss would this be to Chandler? I actually don't think it would be that bad because if Tony Ferguson turned back the clock, he's so freaking beloved on almost a Diaz brother level that I think that would be the prevailing story. And we would just go, hey, well, at least Chandler gave us another action fight. But on the flip side, I also think Chandler's playing with house money and those two losses, including one where he had the champion Oliveira almost out. I don't think it really hurts him. I think those are like moral wins. So yeah, Chandler has more to gain to get back in the title picture. But Luke, I love Tony too much to to to, to watch him take this beating that he's going to get on Saturday. And that's me being emotional. But, you know, talk me off that. Tell me why you think Tony comes back and, and finds a way to be in this fight. Well, we, we're not doing predictions yet, but I'll say this. I'm not super optimistic about his chances here. I mean, for, let's remind folks. He's 38 years old. Uh, did you see the the, uh, the UFC 274 countdown show? Not yet. So he's got like, like Tony now has gray in his beard. It's a little bit strange to see because we've always, you know, we, we always know he's a little bit older relative to some of his peers, but he had such a youthful exuberance and he was kind of all over the place. And, and now you can see like getting close to 40, a lot of that is changing. Dude, I'm just going to say it straight up. 38 years old, I don't care how good you are, is a very difficult place to be at 155 pounds. That is not winning conditions, flat out. <clears throat> and if people want to bury him after losing to Gaethje, Oliveira, and Dariush, I understand. I would say if you add in Chandler to that, then that to me would be the... Again, you could decide now that there's full-on confirmation that he can't get back what he lost. Um, and I, you know, th that could be true. I'm just saying if you lose to Chandler, then it's 100% sure. The thing I want to point out is two things. One, the reason why I'm not ready to 100% say it's, you know, this is the end of the road is because I have done that with other fighters. Granted, different divisions, different circumstances. And then they have proven to be resilient. And not just Andre Olovsky. There have been some other ones, too, where in MMA, you do need to be a little bit careful about saying a guy's day is over before you really have clear definitive proof that's the first thing i would say i think the other thing i would say here is bc and i want to be very clear with the audience too dude people need to understand this everyone's like oh tony needs to train change his training or do this or do that you need to understand and, I, and folks say they understand it but they need to absorb what it means this is an extremely violent sport and you can take a loss here not just this fight but any fight where it can change you it can change you as a person. It can change your risk-reward calculus. It can change how you view yourself in the sport. It can change your desire to compete. And you can be even in denial about it while the changes have already happened. Josh Thompson, in fact, talking about his loss to Tony Ferguson, how it changed him. And it only took a, it took a little while before he was really able to fully accept what that meant. And then once he did, he understood what his body was telling him. Dude, he may have been changed against Justin Gaethje. That was an absolutely brutal, 
brutal beating. And I, I always bring this example up because it's the one I go back to. When Rich Franklin beat the shit out of David Loazzo, he was not ever the same. He stayed in MMA and he did get some wins later on, but they were on the regional level or not guys not nearly as good. Like the elite side of him, it was beaten out of him that night by Rich Franklin. Like no doubt about it. And Loazzo, for folks who don't know, David Loazzo was fucking awesome, man. He was so good. His win over Evan Tanner is one of the most incredibly brutal displays of elbow slashing against a standing opponent you will ever see. There was a waterfall of blood coming off of Evan Tanner's face, but then he, he locked horns with Rich Franklin, and Rich Franklin took that all away. You need to like at least ask the question, begin to accept the reality of Chandler goes in there and just dummies him a little bit, which you know who knows what will happen. But if he does, there is no denying he got changed that night in Jacksonville, and there was no coming back from it. For me, well, BC, I think it goes deeper. what I want to see is if that was true. I actually think it goes deeper, which is why I have this much confidence in almost saying that it's over. You know, maybe you should have him be fighting a Robbie Lawler or a Cowboy Cerrone type than Michael Chandler. And Luke, it's because of this. Dude, I think that stretch of the tail end of almost getting into the title fight with Habib and then losing it last minute. Dude, when he hurt his uh, knee... Right, slipping on the cables in the Fox studio ahead of what would have been UFC 223 and finally fighting, uh, you know, Habib. He rushed himself back from a serious injury in such absurdly fast time frame and, you know, went through a war against Anthony Pettis and just did everything that was mentally and physically and spiritually possible to just like act as if I'm assuming that the pain was never there and it never happened and the damage wasn't there so that he could double and triple down and go all in and say, this is my window. I will not miss it. And I think that it's not just enough to say, was that beating he took over four plus rounds, nearly five against Gaethje enough to change a career. I think he was already running on fumes heading Mm. into that to Mm. try to preserve himself for that one big opportunity that kept missing out and slipping away. And you add into that, Luke, I'm no psychologist. I don't know the real story, but you know, he's going through a very public at that time thing with his wife and the abuse allegedly and the time he's broken he had some mental health issues yeah mental health issues that i don't know if all of that was unresolved either so he was running hard and heavy you have to assume and then poured it all out against gaichi and then lost two more three-round fights after that against absolute hammers in which he took damage and it really wasn't all that competitive as we kept going derriushin moments but really not luke Dude, Chandler's gonna. Go, Chandler's the wrong guy. You can talk yourself into the idea of okay, Chandler's great, but you can get him into a war easy. That's gonna be my chance. I don't want to see Tony in a war against him. So it's like hard for me to sit here and complain about Tony Ferguson versus Michael Chandler under any given year because it's not like Chandler's a perfect fighter. He's he makes himself too vulnerable because he tries to win. But this ain't it, Luke. This ain't the fight. This is not the time. I got bad bad feelings, and that's really muting me getting any level of excitement over this it it, it so to be to be clear i feel the same way about chamaya versus nate not as str- starkly because That's, nate's got okay, more i don't in the feel tank. the same way about chamaya versus nate chamaya nate's got fresh. more in the I tank mean, but it's it's in the same category of what produces these feelings whether you want to call me a you know a, you know care too much about these fighters all we do is cheer for them to go in there and get effed up for our entertainment but you tend to care too much about some of these guys and i got a bad feeling luke so let me ask you this. We, we, we could be totally wrong. I'll say this, dude. If, it's not just if Chandler wins, although that would, not, that, that would not be surprising if Chandler won, obviously. But if Chandler like finished him where the referee had to intervene, 
Yeah. That would be bad because you look at his losses. He has the TKO loss to Justin Gaethje, but that was in what? To your point, that was deep into the fifth round before the intervene. And maybe they could have gotten there before, but it was a long, brutal fight. I'm talking within a three-round fight for the referee to like, you know, over a guy who's just covering up or not all there. That would be a, that would be bad. But let's 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 challenge our own premises here. What if actually Tony Ferguson, you know, maybe he doesn't look as fresh as a daisy, but he gets it done. He actually beats Michael Chandler. He actually leg locks him. He chokes him out or he gets his hand raised in a decision bout. What would that prove? That would be one of those like I mentioned Late career Cinderella, most renaissance wins where somebody, maybe, maybe similar to Tito Ortiz against Ryan Bader, which stopped the bleeding on another sustained losing streak for an aging fighter. It's like that reminder that I got one more in me, that on any given night, right? I mean, sometimes that produces the wrong false confidence to leave someone to linger for too long. But I think, Luke, given, I mean, you cannot deny it. Tony Ferguson is beloved, rightfully so, by MMA fans to the point where anytime, even when he's acting straight up crazy, when he's in front of a microphone at a press conference, people are going fan favorite, you know, shit crazy. It, it would be romantically a giant, giant thing for him. But again, it would also open the door to, to even bigger challenges. I think the best case scenario as a Tony fan, and I am one, is he turns back the clock here and gets a win. And then he fights Conor McGregor in a pay-per-view. Hmm. Right? Hmm. Okay. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Um, I don't know if Conor would want that, but I guess if Tony looked good... Oh, Conor would take that. He would would look at Tony as someone who absorbs heavy damage, which is the perfect type of opponent that Conor wants to fight. That's true. That's fair. All right, but for Michael Chandler, let's say he goes in there and just dusts Tony. Are people going to say, well, Tony was finished, and what does this really mean? Your two wins over Hooker and Ferguson, your two losses were two, uh, let's see, it was was Gaethje and uh, uh, Oliveira. So it's like you beat the two guys who were older and kind of out of it, and you lost to the two guys who were kind of younger and with it. Would there be, what would be the story for Michael Chandler if he goes two and two in in, in his four UFC fights and beats Ferguson on the weekend? It would have to be that you subscribe to my theory that he's got so much money in the bank, quote unquote, in terms of the... Look, he's done everything that a UFC matchmaker or Dana White would want, right? Signs with the company instantly. Didn't he go to Abu Dhabi to be like the backup of a fight and cut weight mm-hmm. for it? I mean, he's just been bout it, bout it, Chewbacca style, as Luke Thomas would say. And I think he knows it. And I interviewed him. I think you're going to throw the sound in, in a minute or two. But like, I think he knows that. He knows, like he says, you know, here for a, a good time, not a long time. But a win just kind of holds serve, in my opinion, and leaves him right in the title picture. But, Luke, does that mean he has to go through Islam Mahachev to get back into that title picture? What does the future bring with a win here in your, in your, in your case? I think it gives him another fight against a top three or four guy. That's what I think. I don't think it does a whole lot more than that because a loss would put him firmly outside the top five in terms of what kind of competition he would get next in all likelihood. I but mean, Luke, have you ever seen him- two... Have you ever seen two losses on the super elite level, Oliveira for the title and Gaethje in the fight of the year that have ever been this le- this much like victories in a way? Like I don't I don't hold those against him at all. Do you? Because some people are like, oh Chandler this Chandler that. no Chandler this Chandler almost finished the damn champion in round one. He was like that close. I wouldn't hold it against him unless he loses to Ferguson and then yes. the body of work together. You're like. Mm. That would be a problem. That would be a problem. Okay. All right, so we a- you asked him, actually, about the strength of the division and the lay of the land. Here's what he had to say. 
I'll tell you what, yeah, you back you back someone into a corner. That's when they, that's when they really come out fighting. So I think Tony Ferguson, he's primed and ready for maybe a resurgence. I, I think Tony Tony still feels like you know in his mind he's still one of the top guys, and you always got to remember. You know, you're fighting the toughest guys on the planet at 155 pounds. So you lose a couple fights. It's not because you've necessarily lost a step. It's not indicative of losing a step. It's it's indicative of the the strength of schedule and and how tough these fights are in the top of the division at in the UFC. So you know, look at myself. I've got two losses in a row, but I lost to the two guys that are fighting for a title just two fights after me. Fair point. Not wrong. Fair point. Not wrong there, not not at all. Although there is a will, there there. Do you not notice like in boxing, people are much more likely to be like, eh, so and so is washed, rather than oh, this is the strength of this division. Like it's just how it goes. I mean, to, don't get me wrong, Chandler is right. Like this is a fucking meat grinder times a thousand. But there is also this a little bit of unwillingness in MMA to acknowledge when a guy is getting older and and being shop worn. Yes, and again, Ferguson's getting older and being shopworn timeline, I think is so sped up by the damage he's willing to entail all the time. But also look, he's, you know, Ferguson's riding on not just irrational confidence, but like next freaking level irrational confidence to where he's willing to bring on the pain in a fight. Like, you know, like Chandler to a degree, but like take on damage and fight back that dude, that's not a sustainable model at all. No, it's not. Now, to your point also, what happens if Chandler wins? Let's say he gets this win and looks good doing it, whatever that means. Where would he go next? Chandler had some ideas. Here's what he told BC. It's a good question. Um, you know, obviously, number one goal is is whoever gets me to the title. You know, I think running it back with Charles Oliveira, running it back with Justin Gaethje, uh, especially in, with title implications on the line. Connor, the with for the the magnitude of it, it's not the red painting out, it's not the money. I want I want a huge fight in the most amount of eyeballs. And there's a couple other guys with huge names and huge reach inside the sport. Diaz, Poirier, Masvidal, Covington. I know some of these guys are welterweights. I am by no means a small lightweight, nor do I like to make 155. It takes me about 12 weeks of perfect diet, and I'm about tired of it. Uh, but all of those are are huge fights and big fights. Sounds God, about Luke. right. The guy's still trying to get just the biggest fights closest to the title possible. What if he wins? Do they feed Michael Chandler to Conor McGregor? It's in play. I think also, my opinion, a, a Mahachev ma- monster fight for a real number one contender would be in play. Could you argue that he, I don't think he cuts the line on Islam under any circumstance. Although, Luke, let me put it to you like this. Because he's been such a model employee, right? Like, I'm here to tell you, Mike, like, listen to the interview. Go to YouTube.com slash Morning Combat. You can't find a Michael Chandler interview, including mine with him, where you don't come out of there going, man, I'm inspired to, like, run through that door because of this guy. Dude, he's like the model citizen as a fighter. He goes all action and brings it, yet still in the context of trying to win. And obviously to his employer, he's everything the UFC wants. Could they reward that, Luke, if... Let's say Charlie Olives goes out there and finishes Gaethje like he does. That's what he does, right? Could they give a victorious Chandler to him next under the auspices that the first fight was so great and Chandler almost finished him in the first round to become champion and make Islam do one more, you know, rung no, on this ladder? No, no. Is that possible, no Luke? No, there's no way. I'm if not Islam fighting for gets it. gets injured and I'm Michael Chandler here, shines... I'm not sitting here trying to argue for it for Chandler. I'm telling you UFC rewards those who act a certain way. I'm just saying it could be in play, as could potentially Connor. Con- Seriously, but at this point, if it's not going to be Nate, 
Connor against any of these action guys could be it. But Luke, one name he did mention there that we never talk about, okay? Dustin Poirier versus Michael Chandler. <laughs> Fucking A. Fucking A. I mean, forget about it. I would love to see that fight. That's a hell Woo! of a contest. So we'll see. how This is why this fight to me is extremely intriguing, man. There's a lot of who's coming, who's going here, and what this is all going to mean. So we'll see. All right, BC, yeah, but we are they, have two. But are they, are they going on their feet or on a stretcher, Luke? That's the fear, okay? That is the fear. Fair enough. All right, we have two more fights on the main card. They're fun, and one of them is really fun, as a matter of fact, but they're a little bit different. So you've got, at light heavyweight, the rematch that I don't know if anyone asked for, but <laughs> Shogun Hua versus Ovin St. Peru. St. Peru back down at light heavyweight after something of a misadventure at heavyweight. And then you have Donald Cerrone, uh, certainly on the last legs of his career, against Joe Lazan, who's been off for some time, I believe, because I think he just didn't want to take fights if he didn't really find something super interesting. Yeah, he hasn't fought since 2019, so it's been a long Damn. time for him. All right, BC. Question for you. Of Shogun, OSP, Cerrone, and Lozon, of those four names, who is most likely to retire off of a loss? Wow, interesting sw uh, swerve there. I thought you were going to go a different way. Who's most likely to retire after a loss? So let me just give you a bit here. Shogun Hua is, I mean, just long in the motherfucking tooth. He's 40, if you can believe that. Okay. OSP, 39. He'll be 40 in, uh, no, she just turned 39 in April 8th. Cerrone. He is 39. He just turned 39. And then Joe Lazan, 37. He'll be 38 in just about a week or two. So we're talking about guys who are at the very, very, very ends of their run. To me, it is not at all po uh, inconceivable that one or two could potentially retire if the loss is bad enough. Well, here. I mean, in some ways, both of these matchups are perfect for that wheel of death or whatever idea I had in one of the segments of like a elite loser leaves town match so we can say goodbye to legends and then when they lose... They have to retire for at least a year, and they put their gloves down, and we love them on the way out. All four would be great. Uh, all four could retire, win or lose. I think it's probably going to be Lozon if he loses, but only because he's been so distant from the game and focused on coaching. So it's not like you know there's huge opportunities awaiting him. Although he's still, he you know he's getting this sort of like Matt Brown, uh, Jim Miller type, you know journeyman legend love, which I like that he's getting. And look, this is a decent matchmaking, as sloppy as it could be, or two old guys. But I'll tell you what, it's not going to be Shogun, Luke. They're going to have to remove him from there because he's just that type of dude. Plus, you look back at Shogun's run to get here, dude, there's a lot more wins than losses. Like, he's still almost in an Arlovsky way, but different. Like, really credible against middle-of-the-road competition and tough as shit, even though he's taken on so much damage through the years. Um, OSP, I think, can linger a lot as well because he can always go back to heavyweight if he wants to just keep being a body. Lowe's on the sneaky good pick. But but what about Cerrone, Luke? What I don't about know. The, I, I don't know what he's hanging on to at this point. I mean, the, the guy's career has been fucking legendary, but it's just a real rough stretch that he's on. He hasn't won a fight since beating Ally Quinta in May of 2019. Since then, losing to Tony, losing to Justin, losing to Connor, losing to Pettis. He had the Nico Price fight, which was a little bit weird. And then he had the Morino fight. In the Morino fight, he got stopped inside of a round. That's the one. It's like, dude, you lose to Tony in 2019. Well, okay. He lost to get Justin Gaethje in 2019. Okay. And Connor. Connor was doing his thing or whatever, 170. You, know, you can say whatever you want. But Morino inside of a round. I mean, that's not a guy he ever would have lost to in like 2015 no. or something. And when he's losing, like against Connor, as you mentioned, he's losing badly. Luke, so here's the deal. It's obviously more likely 
that that cowboy just is one of those guys again that lingers on and fights for whoever will let him and maybe even goes down the BKFC food chain for all we know. He's that type of dude, right? He's about making money and being in fun fights. Is there any chance UFC does this thing that they almost never do, which is like go up to a legend ahead of time before it gets too dark and too late and say, "Here, here's your last fight. If you if you win, go out on a win here and we'll give you one of those Matt Hughes, Forrest Griffin, you know, Chuck Liddell behind the scenes jobs because we freaking love you. You're an ambassador for everything that the UFC's been about. You know, I don't, we don't care if you work it. We're making enough money again these days. Just, you know, live on your ranch. That's fine. Is there any chance that could be in play here, Luke? Because the end's going to be bad for Cowboy. But, didn't, you know, how, didn't they didn't they kill off all those jobs? They did, except for Forrest Griffin, who does, you know, is like the representative. Yeah, but he like, actually yeah. does work. He actually, no, I'm like, t- yeah. he has a key card and he shows up and shit, you know? Okay, so you're saying there's no chance here. Then it's not going to be Cerrone, you know. I just but- feel like what, what you could do with Cerrone was some of the stuff they did with BJ Penn or even Michael Bisping and Cub Swanson where they could open up a UFC gym and then, like, co-brand it. So, like, yeah. the Donald Cerrone UFC gym of Albuquerque or, you know, whatever place. He's not that about you that could life, do. Though. Well, I mean, it would just you would just get royalties from having your likeness used and, and stuff like that. It wouldn't have to actually go manage the the gym, but that kind of thing is possible. But like you know, Cowboy's a free fucking spirit, man. He's got his own ranch. He's got his own life. He lives by his own, the march. He marches to the beat of his own drum. I just don't think that the, the Force Griffin plan could work. You could you could like you could use some of that likeness and whatnot for other things, but not that. The Lausanne one is interesting to me because I don't think he has a Cerrone future. But I just want to say, if this is the end of the line for Don Cerrone, I, you know, who knows what happens on Saturday. Dude, he was just an absolute blast when he was oh, around. Yeah. He won, he lost. But listen to this. He had, let's see, ready for this? He had knockout of the night against Jens Pulver, UFC 263, September of 2006. I watched that fight at a Hooters in Richmond, Virginia. I remember that quite distinctly. Then he had fight of the night against Kenny Florian, submission of the night against Jeremy Stevens, fight of the night against Sam Stout, submission of the night against Gabe Rudiger, fight of the night against George Sotteropoulos, submission of the night against Kurt Warburton, where he had a triangle and Kimura at the same time. Submission of the night against Melvin Gillard. Submission and fire the night against Jamie Varner. Fire the night against Jim Miller. Fire of the night against uh, uh, Jim Miller. Uh, sorry, twice. And then performance of the night against Diego Sanchez at UFC 200. This guy, win or loss, he wasn't. He was like Chris Lytle in the sense of I'm just going to go out there and fight, kind of balls out. Although Lytle was a little bit more, you know, open and striking. But in terms of the grappling side of things, or just you know, hard charging forward. Lausanne has been fucking fun to cover, man. And I don't know what's going to happen on Saturday, but to your point, kind of been disconnected from the fight side of the game for a while as a, as a competitor. Yeah. If he hangs it up, man, what a fun career this dude had and maximized, I think, you know, what he had to offer along the way. So really, you were talking really about Joe Lausanne that whole time? I think you said yes. Cowboy when you started that race. No, no, no. So this I was, was Lausanne. I was, I was switching okay, gears yeah, to no. Lausanne. Lausanne's getting that Jim Miller love that I talked about, rightfully so, and I think he deserves it, and he's always been a guy that goes after the finishes, as you mentioned, and obviously we know Cowboy's legacy and all, and by the way, if Cowboy loses here, Luke, 0-6 with a no contest in his last seven, so I don't know how you could keep promoting him, and that's why I want him to kind of walk away with a win rather than go face somebody else and get sent to hell, but Lausanne is one of those guys that slipped through the cracks that has that, you know, OG persona from him. And won big fights in his run as well. Just never could really get over that hurdle and be a true, you know, title contender that closes in. But uh, I like this matchmaking in that regard. I'm surprised by this fight. 
But, you know, let's see what happened. We don't need Shogun versus OSP, too, though. I mean, what are we, you know, what are we doing yeah, here? Can we talk about that, dude? Shogun hasn't fought since November of 2020 when he lost to Paul Craig, which is, you know, fine. Paul Craig is, is underrated. I think that's fair to say. And before that, he did have a win against uh, Little Nog in July of 2020. But Little Nog was on his fucking last legs before and, that. And never, was, and never was elite, to be fair. I don't think that's quite right. But in any event, he had the draw to t- uh, Paul Craig before that, then the, then the win over Tyson Pedro. Pedro has been out for a long time, just came back. It was a nice win for him. He got demolished by Anthony Smith. I'm not saying this is like a su- – I mean, I don't, I don't want to disrespect OSP because he is dangerous. I'm not saying it's as dangerous as like an – it's not as dangerous as getting a guy who's like inside the top 15 in their prime. Yes. We would complain like about with that. All, dude, the, um, can we just say this? Shogun Hua has taken a fucking alarming – amount of damage in his career and it honestly worries me that he is still fighting okay let's not even talk about pre-ufc okay let's not even talk about that the damage he took in that john jones fight alone which was only what round and a half whatever was just like in a title in a title transaction we've seen like one strike knockouts right but in terms of sustained beatings where somebody kicked the shit out of the other person jones who was like on a different level it was just wow and he had the two wars with Dan Hendo, okay? Those all, those three fights alone, Luke, could end someone's run. But how about all those other fights? And when you're running through his Wikipedia going over the recent fights, again, there's way more wins than losses, which has allowed him to keep lingering because his chin's still ridiculous. And obviously he's, you know, old guy wily enough, even at 40, to be a tough out and can surprise younger guys. But, dude, I mean, that's not even counting everything else he went through, Luke. I mean, just, God, this guy's a war. Yeah, I mean, and the knee surgery. And the thing is... The thing is, I'm not. People mistake the argument about like, yes, sometimes you can be so damaged and, sh- and so shop worn that you can't win anymore, at least against elite opposition. But Tony Ferguson is fighting Michael Chandler. Michael Chandler's still at the very top of the rankings, or pretty close to it. OSP is not, and so I'm not saying that Shogun can't win this fight or won't win this fight. That's not my argument. But my argument is, I don't know that he will. It's it's iffy at best. And moreover, like, dude, even if he can win, it's not the point. The fucking damage overall he has absorbed to his body. You mentioned, the, I mean, forget about the second Henderson fight where he lost. The first three rounds of the first Henderson fight, he, dude, I cannot believe he mounted a comeback in the fourth and the fifth. And Shogun did because he's fucking Shogun. You can see the pictures here. But that alone was like, I was watching that fight through my fingers. Yeah. I got to say, man, I really, really hope if this is not the end for Shogun, it does come soon because the next stage of his life, he's going to have that bill for all the damage he took here. It's going to come due next. And I really hope he saved his money and he has some because you know, some I am guys, genuinely worried for his health. Some guys, it just never comes fully due. They're just built differently. And this class of Brazilians that came all around the same time through Pride and then UFC. I mean, they're just different, dude, from, you know, big from the Nogs to freaking, you know, Vanderlei. Like, dude, these guys are just, I mean, you know, it's, it's like, so in one sense, it's like you want to celebrate Shogun one more time. And this is a very winnable fight. There's no question about it. But look, even in some of these wins against journeymen or B-level guys, he's taking heavy damage en route to winning it. He's leading with his chin as his last remaining elite skill to sort of like hang around and, and find ways to beat these guys. Yeah, uh, there's, there's simply no denying. Um, and for OSP, you know, he's, had a good, he's had a good career. This is, you know, we'll see how it goes from here. If he gets the win, he'll have two wins over Shogun. But just as a reminder to everyone, Shogun, who, uh, whatever you see from him on Saturday, I, I don't know what it's going to be, but... He had probably, if folks, there's so many tournaments in MMA over so many years. Shogun Hua's 2005 run to the middleweight 
prior tournament, which is their version of two. They called middleweight two hundred five. Their version of that, him doing that, is probably the best push through a tournament in 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 all of MMA history. It was absolutely true glory. But BC, it was two thousand motherfucking five. We're now in twenty twenty two. Dude, this guy's oh, such, a, such a badass. I mean, let's not forget that he got robbed against Machida and then came out and knocked him the hell out, Luke. You know? Yes. Yeah, quickly at that. No, yeah, no so damn, this guy's for real. By the way, uh, OSP loves uh, uh, fraternities even more than you, Luke, okay? Black fraternities, though. He's a Q-dog. Luke, why does it have to be a, a, a race or color thing? People, any, Because it's any a black people... fraternity. It's not, they, like, that's who, like, they're, it's four, it's, they're at HBCUs typically and they're four black students, which... Fine, but that's that's what they're for. So, yeah, I don't know. Do black fraternities have any white members? I don't know. I don't know. But I don't think that's the point. I think there's a there's a line that's been drawn in the sand of this earth for a long time, and there's those who need fraternities in their life to to make them Luke. And then yes. there's tell me about the okay. excellence of your college experience and, and how then... you did it so much better. And then there's Drinking the, the rest the champagne of, us. of beers in the forest and then masturbating quietly in the back car while you cry. Some as well. Some of that is true. Some some parts of that story is true. But the point is, those who were willing to walk on the other side of that line and walk it alone. OK, you know what I'm okay, saying? If you see OSP, you tell him that he was an idiot for joining his fraternity. You do. That. <laughs> I'll tell him this, Luke. I'll tell him I was in the same one that we were. Yeah. Yes. You dogs. All right, last but not least, BC, we do have, of course, have the prelim card. UFC 274 has, let's see how many are on this effing thing. I think it's the standard amount. Four, of course, on the ESPN preliminary card, and then one, two, three, four, five, six on the early, early prelims. BC, I'll give it to you first. Tell me which preliminary fight most interests you and why. I don't, like, love the rest of this card. I'm sure yeah, there's not, ones that are gonna... super great. No, and I'm sure there's ones that are going to surprise me and all that. But, you know, in terms of the lay of the land now, it's like, oh, okay. But I got to look at that flyway bout we talked about the other day. Uh, prelims, Brandon Royval versus Matt Schnell. It's, I mean, it's just becoming where every top five or six, seven, top ten fight here is just is just a banger at a high speed. So let's see between these two who can make the next statement here and get closer. Maybe, eventually, the champion and the former champ will will finish their four-fight four rivalry. KK France is coming on. I want to give Askarov a chance to rebook. There's all killers around them. But, Luke, Brandon Royval has, has been a guy who I've seen as a future title contender, as somebody who, if he can just put it together, and he's now 29 now, and I know he's lost two of his last three, and I know the win against Bonterine was by split decision, although that was a really fun fight in January. But, Luke, he does own a win over Kai France, and I think he has the goods if he can put it together. And this is going to be a very tough fight for him against Schnell, so I'm very much looking forward to this. Yes, that one is the number one one on my radar. I think Schnell is very, very good. He had the loss to Bontarine, but then Bontarine popped, so it was turned to a no contest, so technically he's not coming off of a loss. And in general, his late campaign has been pretty good. He beat Tyson Nam, Jordan Espinosa, Louis Smolka, Nauki Inoue, Marco Beltran. He did lose to Pantoja, but okay, Pantoja's super tough and super, super good. So this will kind of tell us exactly, uh, not who's coming, who's going, but... You know who's who's probably more likely to make something of a high-ranked, potentially even title push um, in the future. I, I love, and by the way, all action fighters too. We know Royville will take a lot of risks, but Schnell has really cleaned up his game. He's done he's done really good job of improving. I would also say, BC, the Francisco well, hold on. I don't Trinaldo. want you to leave this too quickly, if you don't mind. Uh, one thing okay. about Royville, Luke, and I say that it's in him. He hasn't figured out though 
how to not be fighting for the fans all the time and how to fight for himself. And he's very honest with that in post-fight interviews about, man, all I do is fight for you guys and push the pace, but the judges, you know, in this case, didn't recognize it. I know he's been stopped twice by those elite names you mentioned, but Royval has a complete game. He's got a sick motor. He's violent. I just think, Luke, he's got to figure out how to mix his pitches up a little bit more, so to speak. And if he does, he could be back in here against these guys that he's won and lost to. Lost to Moreno, beat France. I think he competes on the same level with both of those guys moving forward. He's got to win here. BC, our friends over at Caesar Sportsbook, they have Royville as a minus 260, Schnell as a plus 210. Agree? I agree. I agree. I'd say I think Schnell is a little <laughs> bit I mean, plus 210 is pretty close, but I, I do think that Schnell has real upset potential here. If Royville is such a difficult scrambler to keep up with, but if Schnell can find a way to slow the fight down and put Royville at the end of his jab, which, again, much easier said than done, but it does seem possible, at least for a guy as talented as Schnell, that's a winnable fight. Royville's got to, to your point, he's got to really tighten. You don't want to lose what makes you you, but you also don't want to give fights away that are much more winnable than they otherwise would be, especially against a guy as technical as Schnell. If this fight is looking kind of ordered and segmented and whatnot, this is a Schnell fight. If it's all over the place and blah, 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 he's going to catch a guillotine probably somewhere for Brandon Royville. So really the complexion of this fight, I think, is going to tell you a lot about the ultimate, um, ultimately what happens. Also, BC, uh, one more. Francisco Trinaldo, a welterweight, taking on Danny Roberts. Dude, Trinaldo is old as balls. 43. That motherfucker is your age. And he's won... <laughs> Four of his last five, the only one he lost was to Muslim Salikov back in 2021. He beat Dwight Grant, Jai Herbert, John McDessie, and folks forget this, he beat Bobby Green back in 2019. Here he is, back in action, taking on Danny Roberts. Danny Roberts, a good fighter, 34 years old himself, on a two-fight win streak over Zalim Imadayev and then Ramazin, Ramazan excuse me, Amiv, although he got the last one by split decision, does have losses to Claudio Silva and Michelle Pereira. This one should be all action, dude. Masaranduba, heavy-handed, as experienced as they come. Nothing shakes him. Good on the ground. Obviously a heavy puncher. Your level of excitement for this one? Uh, great. I think the thing that separates us 43-year-olds is certainly the quality of our liver. But Trinaldo Roberts at welterweight is has great potential to be a fun fight. But just the same, Luke, for Randy Brown and Chaos Williams in the same division up there yeah. on the middle prelims. Um, you talk about losing to Michelle Padeda, Chaos Williams, that's his only loss in like a 10-fight stretch. So, um, yeah. I mean, these guys, uh, a lot of opportunities for people to make their name on this night, Luke, okay? Uh, better yeah. beware, Trinaldo and Roberts, according to Caesar Sportsbook, minus 110 either way. So they've got it as a there dead fucking even fight. What the hell is our live fight companion show going to look like, Luke? It's probably going to be stupid. <laughs> Okay. All right. That's usually our, our baseline. All right. Let's speed it up because I got this I mean, does, guy coming to my house. Does that seem so wrong? Him. I mean, I got a broken window. I got this guy coming to fix it. We got to speed through. Hey, Luke, let's go to some fan subs. You ready for this? All right. Let's do uh, it. Morning combat at gmail.com is the email address. It's you wearing tight t shirts. It's called fan submissions. Fan subs. You've got mail, fans and viewers. All right. This one's from Kevin. Hi, Donks. It's Kevin from Maryland here. I broke out a vinyl printer this weekend and made some MK-themed stickers. They may or may not be suggestive of something. Dude. Wow. Those, Those look awesome. Yeah, there should be a deck of cards with that logo on there, RJ, in our merch store, right? Although, are the fists parallel? Or are they... Are the fists supposed to be ash cheeks spreading for the... 
for the butthole for the sphincter <laughs> you know what i hadn't thought of that and now you have said it and now i really hope you get fired yeah, yeah. Well, it's not me. It's gonna Kevin who gets fired. You know, I'll live another day. Hope, hopefully, maybe on Patreon, maybe on OnlyFans, Luke, uh, with some other former UFC. It is, it is okay. Aside from the butthole, uh, you know, comparison, I do like the the spirited craftsmanship of it all. Okay. A uh, future truth or trivia question. Who's the only uh, former UFC champion to have an OnlyFans account, Luke? We'll answer that on our paid version so we can't get fired. Luke, this from Richard, including a video or photo so y'all can choose if you like. Thanks, MK team. A few days late, but I just came up from Alexandria and ran the Brooklyn Half Marathon. I got a gentleman's time of 151.49. Did I listen to music to keep my hype up? Cannibal Corpse, Sweet Caroline, Daddy Janky? Nope, none of that. I was entertained by the Jeff A of MMA, the Donk of Donks, the Patreon of Pantera, the Luke Thomas and his Bellator 279 post coverage show. Luke, the same show that you complained probably was only heard by six people that that had a living pulse. This guy, Ryan, ran the Brooklyn Half Marathon listening to your bullshit. Wow. Oh, I thought he ran a full marathon in sub two hours. I was like, no, what the fuck was he wearing? No, like, he would jetpacks to do that? No. Uh, but <laughs> yeah. okay, half marathon's pretty good still. Yeah, well done there. Okay, thank you. Just came from there. Oh, is. there's a picture. There we go. Brandy, there we uh, go. In the Brooklyn half marathon, a gentleman's hour, 51 minutes, and 49 seconds. Yeah, I got hyped up. Not listening to music. Nope. Not Cannibal Corpse. Not Sweet Caroline. Not Daddy Janky. Why did I was I listening to Bellator 279 wrap up. With the Don of Donks, the Jefe of MMA, and the Patron of Pantera, Luke Thomas. Morning combat. Wow, look at this tough guy here. Apparently, that was pronounced fucking Hefe. great, dude. That was awesome. That guy's the best. Jeffy of MMA. I, I preferred my pronunciation Jeffy, better. Yes, the, Shout the, out the to Jeffy. you, Ryan. Thank you for representing us. Uh, this is from Danger Mouse. Wow. He's back at it. Didn't Luke say my Pulp Fiction Sam Jackson meme was a bit harsh? Then he sent that guy to hell on dead wrong. It's commemorated here. Top quality entertainment, by the way. Yeah, yeah Luke, people this is, loving this is Sparta. Yeah, you killing people, uh, these uh, dead wrongers for the uh, Marines crack. Yeah, I know. It's like, dude, on some level, do you guys just trust that I did actually serve and that I, ha- I might have a vague awareness of these things? It's, like, it's just you can't believe. That people just do- totally disrespect your life okay. like that. But they From do. here on out, we join Brett and Ariel. It's a Desenia, okay? <laughs> as long as you're trying, willing to say Rousey. I don't know what the right answer Rousey. is anymore, but I'm trying. Rousey. Uh, Luke, this is from Adam. Oh, I think there's a second one here from, uh, from Danger Mouse, maybe. He says, this is the uh, mood of the chat room last week. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That is true. Yeah, I- I've noticed. Our fans... Um... I don't know if they love boxing so much. They'll learn to love it, just like me. They've learned to love me, Luke, after the initial hate that everybody goes through when they're like, why would Luke sell his whole career out to this piece of dipshit? Uh, This is from Adam. We got a lot of Adams. I know that Luke was under the weather, but he should know that reading is fundamental. Had he read the instructions for those free COVID at home tests or watched the instructional video... He would have known he didn't need to scratch his brain with the swab and that he needed to keep the testing apparatus on a flat surface instead of holding it up for the camera. Still enjoyed the bit. Thank Luke for getting out of bed and yelling at the camera for our pleasure while he was sick. 
Yeah, Luke, apparently we led you down the wrong road, and that was deep up your It's uh, all right. It's all right. I mean, I had – I don't know what the right answer was, but I'm, I I, I take another tests, and they were all negative as well. Right. But, uh, dude, that cold was fucking terrible, man. I'm glad I, you I came out. You, I, had, I, I told you, I had – I blew my nose yesterday, and I had a yogurty substance that was heavy – come out of my face that was covered in blood and brown mucus yeah, it was terrible i know and you were like you want me to text you a picture of it i was like i did take a picture of it for you yes you got video of your wife giving birth too can we watch that i mean it's just like As a no, matter of fact I, I do yes oh boy i mean it's probably it's a it's a beautiful thing luke it is i just we don't need to see it though it looks That's- like a crime scene it looks like a cannibal corpse cover is what it looks like <laughs> It really does, dude. And they don't like clean it up right away. They just like no. let it linger and they leave you yeah. in there. And you're there's just blood like... and there's blood and afterbirth shit everywhere. Okay. That... And the doctor stands up after delivering the baby, who looks like she was like sprayed with a hose of blood. Yeah, it's but insane. they're like, I'm out. Good, nice, nice meeting you. I'm out of here. And then they're just left there. You know, it's great. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right, this is from Tom. Hey, Luke and BC. I found the original photo of when you guys got together for the first time. There was something in the air. Chairs from Dublin. <laughs> all right that's <laughs> okay that's that's extremely good but i don't understand why there's hair on your beard that grew like a rat tail on your face i think i'm too old to even get the, the me i mean i kind of loosely get the uh the meme here, so it's, but, it's uh, uh what's her face it's uh it's it's machine megan gun fox. loser and uh, megan fox yeah didn't they drink and, each other's blood or in, inject yeah, each well, other apparently when they met he rolls up in like a cloud of smoke whatever stupid ass party they were at and she goes, you smell like weed. And this motherfucker's line, apparently to get his ds which worked, was, I am weed. Which would only yeah. work if you're yeah. rich and already famous. If any other person tried it, that is on par with American Pies. Suck me beautiful. That's what that's, that is. Yeah, that's next level there. That's a lot. You got a lot of balls to pull that one off. Finally, this is our boy uh, JP from, uh, from French Canada. Good day, gents. JP back to congratulate you folks on the new MK Ultra channel. But more importantly, it's the first sponsor. Certainly long overdue. It's BC has finally broken through with Walgreens just for bitch ass men hair dye. Is this shoe polish? Fuck it. Let it. Let's roll. This patented MK Ultra formula will take you from zero to hero as you attempt to dye the dirty old bitch from your right off your head. Uh, all the best. Lifelong fan from Unike, Nova Scotia, Canada, or Mount Unike, Unikai, Unaki, it's JP, BC's long-lost French-Canadian cousin. Wow. wow. I, I like how the tube says BDE. It's like, bitch, if you have hair dye going into your head, it's the opposite of BDE, motherfucker. I think I'm going to stop dyeing it, Luke. My wife wants, she likes it dyed. You know, she doesn't like having an old man. But, See, this uh, is you why know. I'm, I'm already ahead of the curve. I just let it go and never worried, and yeah. now this is just how I look. Yeah, but you you know you change by not changing at all. It doesn't mean you're cool. You know what I mean? You just you just no no. no. Do... I, I don't I, listen. I don't say I'm cool, but here's the difference between you and me. I don't now have to have a sudden drop off. I mean, I've had a slow yeah. degradation, and I, I now yeah. look like shit. But what I'm trying to point out is, it's not going to be like one show where all of a sudden I just look like a completely different person. Whereas you have been maintaining a very false uh, false identity. Well, don't forget what Todd Grisham claims Bruce Buffer told him when Todd also made the same decision to let the silver flocks fly. Uh, Bruce said uh, the silver flocks the, Bruce said the women like it so you know the thing is Luke I, I'm a one woman man so uh, you know it doesn't matter but uh, there you go all right to close Luke it is May the 4th so may the 4th be with you and all Star Wars nerds out here does this make me look like a Jawa Luke or is it a uh... that shoe polish in your hair makes you look like a Jawa 
right, all right. I do look like an episode four New Hope Tatooine sand person. I'd say right? I'd say you look less like Jawa and more like Obi Wan Kenobi on a bender of sadness. There we go. The original drug rug master, old Ben. All right, Luke. So I have created, dude. We are both combined love of Star Wars, but hatred of the things about Star Wars that suck, like episodes eight and nine, George Lucas in general, and how he stole from from uh, from Dune and, you know, uh, the Trade Federation, basically. So, Luke, I've come up with here my top five coolest Star Wars characters of all time and okay. top five lamest Star Wars characters of all time. Which one do you want first? I want lamest. Okay, top five lamest characters of all time. You're just going to, you know, tell me what you think if I'm right or wrong. Honorable mentioned, honorable mention for worst character of all time. Old ass Luke from episodes eight and nine, right? Just an old bitch. Oh, okay. So that, but that version, not Luke Skywalker yeah. generally. No, okay. that version. And the other yes, honorable I'm, I'm mention for, for lamest is young ass Luke Skywalker from episodes four and five. That guy was a young bitch too, Luke. Really? There's Dude, a I sweet cannot spot. believe that George Lucas decided to make the hero of the show and the movie or the series or whatever a whiny asshole. He's such a whiny dick bag. It's like so, all these other people don't whine, but the fucking hero does. Fuck that guy. Well, there's five more lamer than him. Here we go. Number five lamest character in Star Wars history, Luke. The Viceroy of the Trade Federation, Newt oh, Gunray. Yeah. That guy sucks, Luke. Yeah, so Gunray. I was glad when he when all those bitch asses got murdered. I was like, yes. about time. About they were time. dirty behind the scenes. They were basically like selling out Jesus, you know, for, for some 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 gold, Luke. Okay. You know what okay. I mean? I didn't like that. That was uh, right. uh, also his buddy Rune Hako of the. But number four, Luke, the head of the Gungans, Boss Nast. That guy sucks, Luke. Yeah, I was hoping he would drown or have a frog heart attack or whatever the fuck was going on, but he lived, and I didn't like yeah. it. Uh, number three, Luke, also from the same stretch of movies, Watto. The the salesman in the uh, in the uh, ah da, 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 da. that guy who talked like that. <laughs> Like the flying oh, turd with the big nose. Why are you going to bring the Jedis around here? Yeah, that guy's, yeah, that guy's the worst. Yeah, and I'm like, okay. wait a second. This guy is a literal slave owner, and they've turned him into like sort of a dark salesman. Like, what the fuck is this? Uh, number two, probably the one most people hate, Jar Jar Binks, Luke of Gungan fame. But, you know, I do want to give him a shout out. He was a war hero. They just made him a really lame senator who got duped by Palpatine time and time again after that. Dude, Jar Jar Binks should have been skinned alive and then burned. Fuck him. All right. And the lamest character in Star Wars history, number one, Luke. It's pre-Vader Anakin from episodes yes. two and three. The yeah. full-bodied, you know, version of him who's just... I, I mean, how did how did Padme go for that shit, Luke? Dude, Padme's a dumbass, clearly. A fucking idiot who, you know, just letting that douchebag plant his filthy seed in her. What is wrong with her? I mean, seriously, one. yeah. It's like, well, just go ahead and bang Billy Ray Cyrus while you're at it, you fucking idiot. And that's the first thing I would say. And second thing, it's like, wow, I see where Luke Skywalker gets it from because Anakin was a fucking hoe. Fuck Anakin. Yeah, yeah, you, you really are. Um, number, here we go, Luke. Here's on the flip side. The top five coolest of all time. Honorable mentioned. The blind samurai Jedi from Rogue One. His name is Cheru Imwe, Luke. Yes, he was cool. cool. I am uh, with the Force. The Force is with me, or whatever he said. Something like exactly. that. Exactly. Episodes four through six, Darth Vader. Right? That's number pretty, four? No, he's honorable mention. And Lando okay. Calrissian. 
right? That's decent. Okay. Wait, okay. all of those are all of those are just honorable. You better have some cool ass Star Here Wars we characters, go. dude. The fifth coolest character, number five in Star Wars history, dude, Darth Maul. Nobody yes. got a worse yes. sort of like Agreed. intro and exit. I know he re he came back alive on like some cartoon that I don't watch and I won't, Luke, because I'm about those movies. But uh, that guy was so badass, and they just buried him. I know. Everyone's like, you got to go read the comic books. I'm like, no, actually, I don't. I'm an adult. So, end of that. All right, Luke, number four coolest of all time. Also from the same movie. Dude, Qui-Gon Jinn was a badass. And he also wasn't Uh, about those... You put Qui-Gon Jinn... Dude, Darth Maul fucking murdered Qui-Gon Jinn. And you put him ahead? (laughs) Yes, I do, dude. Qui-Gon was cool. He was willing to break Jedi rules because he knew Anakin was really the one, Luke. And the next thing, he knew somehow subconsciously that Anakin needed to spawn Luke, who was the real... The hope and savior, Luke. Qui-Gon was pretty damn cool. Seriously, you don't like Liam Neeson? Uh, Qui-Gon Jinn was a bitch. No, okay, no. First of all, he wasn't a bitch. He stood up to Yoda. Second of all, I I guarantee you they didn't show up, but he but he banged Anakin's mom. I guarantee you. <laughs> like, I can't... Dude, he was like... He was moving right into that kitchen. Like, he was ready to take over that house. You know what I mean? He was coming on, okay? Number three right. coolest of all time, Luke. Tell me if I'm wrong on this placement. Chewbacca. Listen, you got him on the top three. I can't complain too much. He'd be higher on my list, but everybody knows Chewbacca is the linchpin that holds the resistance together. Fuck what anybody else tells you. And, you know, he doesn't really have too many lame moments, and that was the problem with, like, any George Lucas character you might like in some form. Inevitably, he'll make them lame, and you'll hate them. But what was Chewbacca's lamest move? There really wasn't any, dude. He'd growl at people. He drank. The lamest thing was when we thought he died in uh, the last one, and then they're like, oh, Chewbacca's just back. But that's not a Chewbacca thing. That yeah. was just uh, the story writers. Dude, he also stood by Yoda when all the uh, Jedis got murdered for Order 66, and they had to hide. He was like Yoda's right-hand man during that stretch. You know what yeah, he was on the Wookiee planet. The Wookie, dude, the, dude, the Wookiees in general are just great. Kashyyyk, yeah, fantastic. All right, number two char- coolest character in Star Wars lineage history? Han Solo, the original, Luke. He shot first. Okay. I saw it. The guy's yeah. an absolute I, I, badass. I, can, I, can, I think Han Solo, I would have Chewbacca above him, but that's just a personal thing. I, I can get down with that. I can get down He's with like that. He's like the cool, badass drug user who inevitably, in the end, joins the religion and, and cleans up, but the road to get there was fun and spectacular. Like, yeah, he became a pseudo-Jedi, and he married a Jedi, and he 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 provided sperm to create a, a you know that absolute dick. Oh, how did I not? You know what, Luke? Who's the guy, the uh, the bad guy in 7 through 9? The, the, the nerd. The the. Oh, the guy with the... Uh, uh, Kylo Ren. I didn't think he deserved top five worst. I think there's some redeemable parts about Kylo. So I kept see Kylo mind. Ren in episode seven was top five worst. But by episode eight or nine, he kind of turned it around a little bit. I'm with you on um, that. I'm with you on that. So but Luke, no one's ever been cooler at any given point in the history of Star Wars. My number one pick, episode six, black suited Jedi, Luke Skywalker. I mean, what he did to to Jabba and the way he swiftly navigated that, Luke, and then, you know, uh, come on, Luke, all time, the coolest, the best. He is what we should aspire to be, Luke. He was a bitch before, and he damn right turned into a bitch after. But in that in that sweet spot window, Luke, he was he was like Mick Jagger. I mean, it was incredible. I agree. He was a pretty, and when he shows up to Jabba's place and then he just fucking runs the show. That's pretty incredible. I would have had Vader 
from Rogue One, probably a little higher. Oh um, yeah, yeah. Because uh, he, that was a real daddy's home kind of moment in that movie. Vader I from also, four and five too, dude. Four and five, Vader's absolute badass. I mean, just yeah, he's yeah, especially in four. I agree with that one as well. You didn't have Yoda on the list, which I'm a little bit worried about. And you also didn't have who was the guy who worked for um, uh, in in uh, the Han Solo movie. There was the guy whose oh. face would kind of light up. Who? What was his? What was his name? I forgot who you're referencing here. I did see that twice. I like that movie. The guy. Okay. He, he was the guy who. Who? Uh, so Han Solo's a girl from Carillion. She was like his servant or whatever. Yeah, Carillia, whatever the name was. I don't that remember. That guy who worked for Darth Maul. He was. He was not so bad. He was kind of cool. All right. Um. Who was the first one you said that that not justified? Oh, Yoda. Here's the deal on Yoda, dude. Yoda's polarizing to me. Like, yeah, he's cool and he's a legend and, you know, he kept the Jedis alive and, you know, he, he had a blind spot. He'd, wait, is he the one that saw Anakin coming? Yeah, he knew Anakin was going to be a problem. Mm-hmm. He was ahead of that he, game. He, he was the first one ringing the alarm bells. Mm-hmm. But I don't love episode five old guy Yoda about to die doing funny tricks on Luke like other people do. And I almost walked out of the theater at the end of episode two when he picked up the sword and, and went mano a mano with, uh, with Count Dooku there. Like, dude, that's just not happening. I'm sorry. Like, Yoda's the smaller, you underestimate him, you know, guy. He's, he's not going head-to-head in a lightsaber battle with a killer like, like that dude who had the crooked-ass penis-shaped thing and had the Jedi training and the Sith training together, Luke. No one's be- he's not beating that guy right there. He's like, I never thought about that. They probably gave him that, that Jedi, uh, the, the lightsaber that was crooked being like, we know why you want this one, you fucking left-dicked <laughs> asswipe. <laughs> but, like, Luke, I remember people stood up and were cheering during that lifesaver battle. Dude, I was like, this is such bullshit. Yeah, my, 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 my friends saw the movie first, and I was like, how was it? And they're like, dude, you got to see this fucking Yoda lightsaber battle. It was fucking unbelievable. No, I'm like, did he win? Friend, they're like, not really. I'm like, well, then friend, what's so yeah, fucking great about tea. it? All right, I'll tell you that one. Low T friend right there. Uh, so so he, I think he's polarizing, but you know maybe I missed a few cool ones there. But I think I nailed it. Thank you, uh, Lando. Nailed it a lot in the Cloud City, Luke. He could have been top five, but it is what it is. Okay. I would also say time. I would also say one thing you missed was the Lando played by the young Lando. Yes. In the Han Solo movie, stole the show. Badass, the abs- show. absolute badass. Yeah, yeah. Also on the lamest characters. I think C three PO is kind of a bitch. I don't like R two D two is about it. About it. C three PO is kind of a fucking in the rear with the gear. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, there was a there's a reason why they turn that computer off every once in a while, right? Or just put him in the backpack and just carry him through. Yeah, yeah. I'm with you on that. Thank you. Yeah. Very much. All right. Uh, so there you have it. A full on UFC extravaganza here on a Wednesday show. Reminder. 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 BC and I are going to take a train to the north, or you know, he's going to take a car, but I'm going to take a train to the north. We're going to be in studio the next three days, and we have a shit ton of content pumping out coming your way. So be on the lookout for that. You want to reach the show, morningcombat at gmail.com. Of course, here's our social. You can see all that stuff there. Uh, Obviously, showtime.com, 30-day free trial. If you like it, you can keep it. If not, you can go bounce somewhere. You've seen it flashed on the screen through all of our terrible jokes. Morningcombat.store if you want to go buy some merch. BC, any final thoughts before I see you manana? 
Look, this is a huge week for combat sports. We gave it to you at UFC 274 today, but Friday's episode is going to be absolutely badass. We make our picks for UFC. We preview Friday evening's Bellator card from Paris. We also set the stage for Canelo Alvarez, Dimitri Bivol. The rich get richer, Luke. What a time to be alive. Fun combat sports this weekend. We're going to have you covered all the way through a live 274 fight companion. More details to come, as Luke mentioned. Uh, YouTube.com slash Morning Combat. We got great interviews out there, so check them out right now, including as well... Kayla Harrison with Luke, Juliana Pena with myself. So if you missed those, check those out. Um, can't wait, Luke. The stuff that we're filming that we can't talk about is going to be incredible in the long term. But even in the short term, dude, we're going to be hitting you hard on a loaded weekend. I'm ready. I'm just so jacked up. Uh, this is unbelievable. What this is a, a big I mean, one. It's great. This is a really, really big one for the show. So please yeah. be on the lookout. We'll talk to you guys. Well, we'll talk to you pretty soon, but we'll definitely talk to you guys live on Friday in studio. So for Malka, for CBS Sports, for Brian Campbell, for Showtime, I'm Luke Thomas. We'll see you guys in a bit. And until then, may all of your gains be loyal.